Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at Werewolf the Apocalypse dash retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and today I have the privilege to uh, conduct an interview with my team and the one, the only, Martin Erickson. And... For those of you who don't know who he is, you're going to learn all about him in the podcast. We discuss Martin's uh, journey uh, from several different projects and, and LARP experiences and, and all sorts of experiences, honestly, that's going to be there. Uh, but I'm going to keep it brief because we talk long. This is an extraordinarily long podcast. You're going to want to take it in stride and uh, kind of strap in for it. But what I really want to talk about is the content other than his background contributions to, to, to gaming in general um, and understanding in the industry and how it might work. Um, he's a storyteller, first and foremost. There's a lot of, uh, he talks a while, and we want him to, because it's fascinating to listen to, and it's quite entertaining, and we didn't want to derail from him. However, there is a very real topic that we will get to, and it relates to the uh, Chechnya incident, as we'll refer to it, or you know this as the Abrek Blight out of the cam guide. We don't get detailed, super detailed about it because you don't want to. And the attempt is not to bring up any bad feelings about it, but it is to get him a chance to tell his side. It is my understanding uh, that uh, that's that's what this is about. You guys want to hear raw, true things that we can bring to you. And when people step forward, you know, and they're able to talk about it, we want them to be able to express themselves. And we're honored that Martin chose us to step forward and, and kind of say their piece with. And we want you to also do this. Take all this with a grain of salt. At 25 years, we've always wanted to make certain that whether it's a review, project done, or what have you, that we stay not personal. I will tell you, this is hard for us to listen to as we conduct this interview and not get personal. We've always stood by intelligent feed forward for whatever an artist does. That means that it's our job as fans to enjoy the art or not to. And storytelling is an art. Being a player is an art. That medium is drama acting, if you will. That's what we choose to do and weave these stories and exist in these fake, fictitious worlds. But they're inspired by something. And we choose to be monsters in a world of darkness, and a lot of that content is due to inspiration from real events. And people want to tell you, are things too soon? You can't do it when? You can't do it whatever? Um, and I say that's unfair. What I will say is that they have a responsibility to warn you of the content of what like we're doing right now of what you're about to hear that's their responsibility it is my stance as owner of the company that in the camarilla guide as they've written as i have a natural authentic original copy before they did the recall and all that uh that states clearly uh what that uh what you were about to read and get into was what it, what it entailed and was completely fake it's all fictitious 
It's generated to, to make some political statements in some places, but done through the medium and lens of a fictitious world and fictitious characters, an attempt to provide entertainment and maybe a little understanding to get more every reading. It's never been a point of White Wolf to ever, or Paradox, or anybody to ever make a political statement. However, the writers have always wanted to be um, immersive and get you to enjoy your material. They never wanted to tell or write just a game. That's boring. We call it game, but we want you to love your character that you make. We want you to learn how to connect and disconnect, to play the game, and learn when not to play the game. And a term quoted in the industry is bleed. That you feel the emotions of a character of something that might not have happened or that they triggered emotions to another event you're remembering. And those are beautiful memories a lot of times. Sometimes they're not. But it never gets you to hate what you did. It makes it memorable. I'm reminded of something I want you to think of right now. In your life right now, precious moments and seconds are spent that you will never get back. That is the nature of time. You will never get them back. Your hobbies should always be something you find worth that feed you entertainment and that you can give back from that entertainment to help you in many ways. Role playing has more than documented helping people deal with fears and anxieties to acceptance, to understanding, to empathy, to education. It is used all the time and in different mediums. There's different types of role play. It can even be simple and basic as grabbing dice and taking on a, a, a battle map and blowing some stuff up. Who doesn't like Warhammer 40k? You know, when it's at its simplest. Who doesn't like, you know, D&D old school? Who does, you know, but who likes to dive into it like Critical Role? Who likes an actual play, you know? And, and these things exist. And why I state this as a preface? Because we want you to keep an open mind and understand that we're individuals and people that are on here about to share expressions and talk about it. But I want you to hear this because if you have no interest in it and you don't care to listen about Martin Erickson and you don't want to deal with that, well, this podcast is not for you. Please do not press play. If you're tired of hearing of the Chechnya conflict and everything like that and what goes on, okay, that's your choice. Do not press play. But if you're curious about some stuff like V5 mechanics from the source and the idea behind the beckoning or what it might be and, and, and how, you know, no doubt he's going to be dodgy, we try to catch him on it and, you know, everything else and, you know, what did you think of the Sabbat and all that fun stuff? That stuff is here. And especially if you're curious, where did the idea of Nordic LARP come from and, and what have you done that we can see in video, folks? Did not just give you a story of video links, which we're including with this podcast on our webpage, that you can go and read and look at and watch and enjoy all the stuff that he did and verify a lot of the story that we're about to tell. And without further ado, we give you that podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, Please let us know what you think as you do. And by all means, do not listen to this if you feel that this would not be your type of thing. Don't listen to your buddy who's excited about it, who it is their type of thing, and you're like, I don't particularly care. If you don't particularly care, then don't. You know, I know Martin would appreciate that. This is an attempt to give him closure. And as a friend of his, I want to give him that. This is an attempt to bring understanding, the other side of the story. We all heard the one side, but the other side of the story. You know, and, and that's important. And we do that. I feel we gave him that closure. I also know that I myself was triggered as I gave this interview, remembering the the, the events that you can experience in your life. And, you know, it, it just, just kind of made me frustrated on a lot of levels for him. But that's why I did this intro. Because if even I myself can see that there might be a differing viewpoint, I want to remind everybody, not everybody cares about LGBTQ community like we do. Right? It's not, not everybody gives a damn. There are some people who generally are just neutral and cold to anything that's not them, perfectly safe in their own bubble. This intro is me breaking that bubble because 
I can only talk to you about this interview from the perspective of what I know and what I've read and what I've understood. That's this interview in the raw. That's Martin states from looking up online, reading articles and seeing what it is. If your point of view says, I didn't, I didn't see the full story and somehow you think there's more I got to read. Okay. I'm here. And I look forward to that conversation with you. Without further ado, thank you. Hi, everybody. Welcome to uh, 25 Years Vampire the Masquerade Presents. Um, a very special interview here. Um, I, of course, am referring to the one, the only, Martin Erickson. Um, Martin, I want to thank you from the, from the bottom of my heart for being here. It is a big deal to me. I think there's a, our team feels the same way, and let me not be rude. We're accompanied by Nick. Hey. Of course, you got DJ. Hello. And always Brennan. Hi, everyone. And of course, hey, guys. Martin, thank you. Yeah, um, and you, Bob. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Yeah, uh, This is always out of a place of love here. Glad to be that guy. Um, but what I was referring to is that there's a lot of talk about Martin Erickson, a ton of talk about you. There's, uh, I would say, arguably, influence-wise, you know, you've people have heard of Justin Achille and other great names to the positive, but very few people get touch both sides of the spectrum on what goes on. And, and to continue to be a driving force and an influencing, uh, influencing force as well. And I want to point that out. And that's why in this interview, folks, I want you to keep an open mind. Definitely, we're going to hold your attention, I promise you. And uh, we're going to just get into this. I'm going to start by um, asking Martin, where did you come from? You know, what are you about in some of the... Yeah, yeah, where did this this bizarre edgelord come from? Or, I mean, my, <laughs> my, 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 my favorite... My, my favorite eponym, though, is Swedracula. I mean, yeah, that, that one was the best one that came out uh, of it. Yeah. I'm all sorry, say that again? Swedracula. S-W-E <laughs> Dracula. So, like, Swedish Dracula. <laughs> I think so that good. one was pretty awesome. But, yeah, I mean, you're a bit of an edgelord, too, Bob. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We hope. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. but to, yeah. just to open up a little bit, there, there's a thing about edgelord, though. I know that... Um, I know for a lot of people, that's like, you know, we have a ton of catchphrases slang-wise nowadays. Mm -hmm. We say in our culture now we want to be open and woke with everybody and respectful. But then you find those terms, like that one, edgelord, and you you look into it and you're like, wait a second. That's just somebody who really likes something. Right? They're really into it. I mean, it's like we we could have like the the American stereotype of the edge lord would be the like the player who runs down the neon lit streets with his twin silver plated katanas and heroin needles <laughs> in his eyeballs. It's like killing cops and having no consequence, gratuitous indulgence of sort of very quite surface traits of the the darker side of life. But I mean, I'm a Swedish edge lord. That. I think there was even a Gen Con t-shirt once that we never used. Bless our <laughs> smart parts, but it was fun. But yeah, so but Swedish edge what that? Because I mean, it is a very different culture. And like, yeah, I can get down with that because that would be something like you know, a uh, middle-aged career woman in uh, her forties gets embraced and has to adapt, adapt her busy schedule so she can feed from the elite swinger clubs in the in the city and the refugee camps outside the city. Hyper realistic focus on like real world, but kind of loserish and and, and grim, you know, like in the genre of um, uh, Nordic noir. That sort of focus on the the social realism of it. Right? That's that's more like a, a Swedish kind of edge lord, <laughs> I'd say. Um, 
You can see, I mean, you can push, you can push gratuitously into like many different kinds of subjects. But I think, but I think edgelord, what it like means in the vernacular and like how it can be a useful term. Maybe if we like, yeah, if we would stop calling ourselves edgelords and say like, no, edgelord means when you got it too far and you're obsessed by it and you're just repeating that gratuitous, meaningless power fantasy again and again. And in that case, it's like, I, I, I don't want to be an edgelord and I don't think I am, but because there's a, there's a difference. Uh, why you go there? Um, and it's like, is it bad or dangerous to be a gratuitous edgelord? I don't think so. It might be a little bit tasteless. <laughs> yeah. in, in that regard, though, that vein of, uh, of social awareness, mm. you did something titled uh, Conspiracy for Good. And it was like a, it was like a project and, and it hit across mm. multiple medias that talks about social benefit storytelling. You mind sharing a little bit of what that was? Yeah, this is sort of like on the path to... Uh, to vampires sort of like how how did i get there and what did i do before for a long period of my life i worked with games which research in pervasive games and as a tool to integrate with tv series this was during like a super weird age of uh, <laughs> broadcast television it's like so broadcast television is kind of dying this pirate bay and everything is moving in it's like they're realizing what's happening yeah but streaming mm-hmm. is not yet there so there is this weird moment of time where it's like, how do we utilize the internet? And from there, you have things like, you know, the lost ARGs and the heroes, alternate reality game, extended universes. Um, so there were like parallel forums where you to talk to the characters and perform missions and so on. So the, the universe expanded like that. That was an early attempt at doing something that had the, made the broadcast moment have relevance. It's like, oh, how's the plot in the ARG going to progress after this episode and so on. But it was also a great way to use a ton of role-playing tools and so on from my early LARP days and so on. I started in 91, my first game that I ran without knowing what LARP really was. It was based on Junta, the the board game. Uh, I've not heard of that. Yeah. No, this is uh, Junta, the board game. Like a classic board game, I think it's Western Games from the eighties or something. It's just like it's a, there's it's a it's set in a banana republic, and one person is El Presidente, and the other ones are like rivaling uh, factions, <laughs> competing for the UN aid money. <laughs> that, that it's like fantastically fun, and you hire different assassins, different competence, and, and and so on. And yeah, you try to. You know, become the Weird. next president for the next term, and so on. We're taking a note of that. That sounds amazing. Like a lot of fun. Game. It is. It's really funny. So that's what I based my first LARP on. So it's like it. There's. I cleaned out my my like our apartment when my parents were away. So it's like now it's like clean and and so on. I take away all of these like <laughs> feminist camp posters and put up my own like modern art improvised uh, high school Martin Jackson Pollocks and like clean it out. And then everyone's in like and. Uh, ambassador from a different country are coming to the the uh, embassy of uh, Baleta Negra who has just sort of left Soviet control and so the spy games and of course tons of assassins and a bomb that is ticking down uh, programmed in hypercard on my dad's Mac SE like how you can <laughs> get the code down and so on but basically wow. a lot of like a salon LARP a bit vampire style with loads of assassins and James Bond references I think Johnny Silverhand was there also. Crazy, crazy game. But that is, I, I started there and now I've moved up to the point it's like, okay, I've, I've done work with television and LARP-like elements. Uh, the truth about Marika, which we'll maybe return to later. But there's, and, and so at this point, 
the company Peeve that I worked with. That, that was sort of my vehicle for this in the television world. And on the side, I had the games research tang going on. Um, and yeah, we were contacted by Tim Kring. Uh, Christopher Sandberg was like the founder of the company, still still running it, still doing some things, I think. Um, he was contacted by Tim Kring and said, like, okay, we want to do this thing with Nokia that is like there's something that promotes positive social action through a gameplay narrative. It's like, is that something you're into? And I'm like, hmm, I've been interesting about sort of whether it's possible to motivate people in an effortless and nice way to do cool stuff. And they're like, okay, cool, let's, let, let's do that. So I had the great privilege of working in London for four crazy weekends. We had like 100 people running around with these new Nokia phones. This is in the ancient age before the iphone and this was like their competitors bid in getting into the market i think the first iphone maybe was starting out but they had awesome image recognition on this little device with like you know flipping flip out keyboard and uh, those cute details and it could recognize some things like a movie poster and like here you can buy a ticket maybe there's like super early version of that but it worked it's, it's like it worked really badly on most things so it's like, how are we going to make a street game out of this one? But they take them from one place to another, to another. That was sort of the idea. It, it's mm. the, what became of some of these games would be things like Pokemon Go. And so that would be a super modern version of this. But the image recognition worked perfectly on graffiti, on pieces, on writing. That's what it worked <laughs> great on, like because of the high contrast, the clear shapes. So we did like, it became, yeah, in Brick Lane in London, there's a Amazing pieces, Banksy and all sorts of other things. So this yeah. became those became the the signposts, and that's it's fantastic. And it's a method that I think Neantic Labs later used for like having public art as the foundational places, and and so on. But yeah, so this group of people are going to guided by their mobile phone, and on the way they have to do things like okay, support the chuggers and help them out. You know the people who are trying to get charity for a good cause, who we ignore and hate and like disturb us every day. We're like, fuck you. But they're actually trying to do a good thing, man. It's like, no, one of your missions is to fucking help them and all the money you get, you give to them or subscribers or whatever. It's like things like this. And then organizations like NGOs and countries sign up for us to have them visit like, yeah, uh, like volunteer clinics for illegal immigrants, for instance, was one cause that we... Uh, collaborated with in like in one of the suburbs and uh, I think it was the second game that was set around those parts and so on and so forth and online also it was like yes produce conspiracy for good candies and sell and so on more conventional uh, charity things but everything held together by this narrative of a secret order uh, of do-goodery conspiracists a little bit like the traditions or something you know uh, and with a, a slight edge of, yeah, crazy. Um, but not, it wasn't supernatural, but it was amazing. There's a scary thing about that, like right? looking at the video that you had uh, out there for it. It's, uh, there's a part where there's this real creepy um, CEO guy standing on top of a yeah. building with yeah. like a big maniacal hands out oh, yeah. with his, like public yeah. enemy. Yeah, but, yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> you want to hear the story about that one? Well, I yeah, do. Because, finish, finish. I, I do because here's what happened. There's a lot yeah. of people who had issued knowing that that wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That had heard about it. Th this is supposed to part of the aesthetic. 
the alternate reality game is that, that we push is like first you have this doubt is this real or not this is early internet this is like almost very early mm. meme internet so we don't yet have the sort of savvy and it's still sort of it's still thrilling that, that that's like oh some things are not true and others are true and there's fake and not fake and that discussion was very active in the aesthetics of alternate reality games uh because it's sort of like you create the conspiracy theory for the players. You sure. create the mental fla- framework yeah. from which they read information from the real internet and it feels embedded. And in one way, you can like reveal how conspiracy theory thinking, what it does to your mind, because here's you're consciously creating something like that, sort of showing the tools afterwards. But while you do it, you don't show the tools to sort of... To full people on purpose. So we collaborated with the Pirate Bay <laughs> to launch this video and post this at, as legit yeah. for 72 hours. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> they did it. You know. And this is, I mean, this is an aesthetic I, I return to, like this edge between fiction and reality and like, when does it hurt? When is it? When does it feel good? When is it, does it make us view the world in a new light and discover it in a new way in a way that suggests that when is it only escapism and good in that way? I find it super fascinating, that, that lever. Um, but yeah, fun that you found that, that old <laughs> sin. There are, there are several. So yeah, I mean, that's, these are my roots. I, I, I operated in about five, six years in TV and then in ethics research around pervasive games. The, there was, yeah. like a, there was, a, there was like, I think it was a six, seven year long project uh, called IPERG, Integrated Project on Pervasive Games. And this is like a little bit even back. So I think it started in 2005, six or something, maybe later. And it tries to imagine pervasive games, you know, i.e. Uh, Pokemon Go, in the future without the devices. So in our prototype games, which are heavily LARPed games, to explore physical action and presence and acting, uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, the city streets, what we could call like, yeah, in the crowd, uh, LARPing. Because we wanted to push those edges to see like, where are the ethical concerns and so on. And I mean, that was an amazing space to work within. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, and fantastic in, in so many ways. But yeah, what, originally we had like, okay, here's an RFID reader glove. It was uh, Technomagic channeling the uh, ghosts of the dead from the other side. That was the aesthetic. So there's like this super early, uh, you know, pads, whatever you call like <laughs> fold out screens with a pen. And on those, yeah, they had like the Enochian, the Enochian tablets. We like correctly draw the names in the way of John D in, in the correct manner. Nice. And you would right. connect to the zoom in glove, which could read like an RFID tag. And that would then send information to play sounds from the other side, like shadows that are piercing the veil uh, in different specific places. And this led the group of like possessed entities, basically renegades. Uh, from breath from the other side uh, in possess the bodies of the um, the participants that was the biggest one in that sort of research series that we did 36 yeah. days long uh, and, uh, yeah it was it was fairly extreme and that was i mean it was both as an exploration of the form where can it go what is possible what is not but also uh, to make it an amazing game and for me it was always a love letter to Wraith, 
uh, that whole mythology yeah. is like it is fully compatible to Rave. <laughs> it's like yes, uh, and the, then the TV shows that I did existed in that same universe, a sort of mini bubble of, of World of Darkness esque uh, stories. And that was the truth about Marika, which was probably the biggest thing that me and my then partner Adriana did during our 10-year collaboration time. And uh, that's where I got the shittiest Emmy in the world. I mean, <laughs> it, is a, it, it, it is a very, very shitty Emmy, let me tell you. It's Best Interactive TV Service 2008. <laughs> But you're the only person. It's better than nothing yeah. anymore. It still has plus one damage, you know, it still has heavy as best actor physically. Maybe a bit of quintessence in that one as well. But yeah, so I've explored this area of, of telling stories in multiple medium at, at the same time, like very, very early things that are like almost pedestrian today with, with the technology that we have. It's so easy to do it. Where well, things like, you know, here's a challenge for you to do this week, like put up this uh, QR code on, you know, your door to mark that you're a member of the, the secret good conspiracy and send it in. And, like, and, and other, other things were like secretly follow someone and film them. We were getting into like TikTok territory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here yeah. Almost. Oh, yeah. And this is, <laughs> this is 2007 that we're doing these things. But always under a sort of a role-playing guise. When you got into sort of like, I'm now in the ARG, I'm following uh, Adriana as the sort of the, the conspiracy theorist at the center of the story. I'm following her, her blog, I'm, I'm interacting with her. Then you were in it. And then there was like, there was the disclaimer. There when you were in it, it's like, there's only one rule for here on. It's like, pretend that it's real, implying that it's like, we everybody <laughs> know, that it, know that it's not. So right. here we go. And the format for that TV series was, you know, it's a, it's a mystery drama. Uh, a girl is looking for, for, for her crush from back in high school. Now she's gotten married to a guy, but she's disappeared on the night of her marriage. So the, uh, like the husband-to-be and the old crush are looking for, for the girl together. Where has she gone? Has she joined a cult? Has she disappeared? Yep. Has she died? It's like, there are all these questions. And at the end of each episode, there's this segment that comes in 15 minutes. When, when something is controversial and weird in Sweden, this is how we do it. After the episode, we send a 15-minute debate show where there's a police person and there's a government person and there's, you know, the, the, the people that are involved. We talk it out. That's how it works. So we did this. There's like, so Adriana, who, like my collaborator, who played the sort of the real lead the character she's like this is my story i i put like notices up looking for for jana if like two years ago it's like you've, you've taken my story and uh, i mean that's fine but i want my side of the story heard and cops being there like yes this case was uh, in this time and so on wow but of course all fake that that's like that, that that's entirely fake but it's it is sort of it is exposing the that extreme trust that you can have to in this case, you know, state media. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. But then when you get into the, the ARG side of things, we tell you that it is, it's a game uh, to sort of prevent you from being going too crazy in it. There's a strategy. That was cool. Uh, Bob, yes. There is a strategy here I want to highlight, a sort of method to your, to your genius madness here that Ed, you talk about. Yeah. You give a lecture about immersion 
you know, and I believe in that lecture, you, uh, you had actually stated that immersion, you don't quite like how it's taken. Like you understand everyone gets immersion, but it's so much more an in-depth word than just as people use it. And I was wondering if you can extrapolate that, kind of rehash that again, because a lot of people are going to hear this and they think one thing that LARPers have all feared. If I'm acting in public, people could see that and now I'm a crazy person or what have you. And they don't, you know, there's that fear that they wear that, you know, I'm not going to do it because I might be seen like that. However, there's a whole Nordic LARP philosophy that I know that you helped, uh, you helped get the word out about that. That's what you were doing. I mean, I heard of you through that before I even read about V5. This was, this was one of my two goals. That is like when I realized that I'm going to ride this, wild stallion of like that i've loved from since i was 16 it's like when i when i knew that i was going to do white wolf it's like okay want to bring this back full force and so an old medium and so on but, and also like and this is going to sound a bit nasty but take it in the right way it's like i'm gonna save american larp by <laughs> importing Nordic larp through vampire <laughs> There was, it was, yes, there was a, a, a secret hidden plan because I do think that by concentrating on the collective creation of the best scene rather than singularly winning, uh, there is a change that happens in the way that LARP is played that is interesting yeah. and it puts it to closer contact with other serious forms of performance. Uh, like there's a long traditional of, of uh, you know of performance art uh, of course and theater kinds that are not meant for audiences there's psychological role-playing i mean that is one of the places where the term comes from therapeutic role-playing so the idea that play only has to be non-serious sort of was questioned a bit in in nordic larping and so directly it doesn't only have to be a win win-win game this is a dramatic game it can come further be inspired by by theater methods and so on, and use the unique aspects of LARP. We are physically present. We are actually directly looking into each other's eyes. We are, we're here. So we're less afraid of physical contact because we have this. We're not here to fight each other or try to win. I mean, sometimes, of course, there's offer fighting and so on, but still there's this <laughs> undercurrent that you, you play for the best scene rather than only to win. Of course, if your character's drive is to win and that is a good scene, uh, maybe setting a, if you up for a fall later or whatever, that is, that's awesome and it's going to happen. And there, yeah. are often, there are often rules, but they, generally they are simpler and generally they are more techniques that will sort of structure the play and so on. And the subject material has grown like increasingly socially relevant and mature and, and you know, uh, extremely broad in its topics. It's like it's not no longer sort of sci-fi or horror or fantasy and so on. There's a lot of social realism and uh, amazing historical uh, play and so on. I'm, so I'm yes, actually really glad that you brought that up. Mm. Um, sorry, uh, but it it as an American uh, it, mm. that that kind of does a lot of thing. We, we don't get a lot of that. So mm. when you talk about the idea of constantly blurring the lines mm. and, and trying to snap people out of like their, their, their tiny little bubble they put themselves in when they know they're role playing, when they mm. know that they're, they're kind of doing that, that, uh, that thing when they're portraying a character and they have that win mentality. And it sounds like pervasive LARPing just kind of 
fuzzies up those lines enough to where your own mind can trick you as to where you really are and what you're doing. And it's enough to, to get like real and raw reactions out of people. And, mm. and, and one of the things I'm really glad that you brought up was the, the prosopopoeia mm. uh, LARP that where- Yeah, yeah, let's go, back, let's go back to that specific segment because I think it is important to say that, okay, Nordic LARP, it is, that, that's, that is like, it is basically like any American LARP, those genres and so on, even though it might be, you know, about uh, a, a city in Norway during the German occupation where all of the people who actually live in the village are yeah. playing their own grandparents in that situation during the war. And all the people from Denmark and Sweden are playing the Germans. Uh, where there, there's a small Luftwaffe base that's going to be established and so on. And that is, a, that, that is more like, that could be a, a, a setting. It is... Uh, a really good game, 1942. Um, yeah, so those um, the, 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 there's this super big spectrum of Nordic LARP, but that's the physical, not focused on winning, uh, and sort of a broad range of subjects. And then there's pervasive LARP, which would be a subcategory of that, which is super dear to my heart, and it's sort of it's never really made it. My first sort of when like sort of the idea was like playing among people and so on. That was always how I saw Mind's Eye Theater being played in my head, in my dream Atlanta, which existed there when I was like, <laughs> imagine like how does mm. how does Bill Bridges and the guys play this? I was like, they're probably walking around in like super cool clothes, <laughs> in like in there, and they're using this like cleverly verbal uh, bidding system to make it completely covered so nobody understands what they're doing but they're playing at the coolest clubs and so on and i mean i know there was was game in new york at some like cool pretty mm -hmm. interesting golf clubs and venues so that was sort of where i got the inspiration and the idea for like the, the fueled me into pervasive larp world of darkness is of course the perfect setting for for pervasive larp which was so much of it in like I will now interpret in my head that the world is run by and influenced by vampires and, and, and so on. It is easy to, to sort of put that filter on. But yes, back to Prosopopeia. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yes, your question. Uh, I, I guess uh, there's, a, there's a lot of very interesting uh, concepts when it comes to, to blurring those lines in that mm. way. It's so much so that, uh, I mean, you were even co-authored on a research paper um, around the subject based on the experiences that you had. Yes. Uh, what, uh, how does that translate into, into how you approach LARP in the modern sense? I mean, in, in, in the short word, I don't do in-crowd LARP <laughs> because it, is, it, is, it, has, it has a lot, uh, way too many... Uh, risk factors. I mean, it, it is. Some people do it, and it, it it can be spectacular if you just sort of learn from the the sort of the, the trials and so on that we went through. Like one example. So there was the um, the possessed group who are now like in their in their state of being ridden by these uh, dead radicals mm -hmm. that are, they have come back to uh, sort of push them to action. They're supposed to meet the contact. Who's, who's, to be some sort of crazy homeless person at the subway station at a certain time cool they go there and it's like what? 
it goes wrong, you know. Our guy doesn't get there in time and misses them. It's like things happen. Yeah. And then in the after evaluation report, it's like, what was the best NPC that you met during the game? It's like, yeah, it was that, you know, drugged up person at uh, Centralen. It's like, no, that, there was no such person. That was, that was not our person. So it's like, they then sort of, because they spent two hours, three hours or something with this person who's then pouring out his own like personal worldview, which probably like slightly scored, sounded like it could have been borderline schizophrenic and so on. And that is not a nice thing to do, even if it probably was amazing for this person to have their worldview super validated by a group of young people in weird clothes. But I mean, it is not a good thing, <laughs> face it, but that, that's, that's not something you want to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but I mean, did they learn, did, did the, the pervasive games that happened that became big and so on. They were not these like deep role-playing games and so on. That's a sideline that happened. Maybe sometimes I will do something awesome with that. But, you know, what happened was Pokemon Go and so on. It has its own set mm. of problems. So like, okay, so we position a Pokestop mm-hmm. in an area where you're not used to go and so on. And if you know people are going to stop there, it's going to become a problem in some ways. I think marginal, of course, and all within like the limits of kind of acceptable. And I think it's good that it's, I mean, um, that, that it uses like a lot of public places and so on. But yeah, it is not without value to do research on future gaming technologies that you can see coming. And so like, okay, let's explore them with really clunky version of this technology. Like there was, yeah, the GPS mast that we had. Like, <laughs> right. like, yeah. okay, it's connected to a phone there. Yeah, it or, was, or what um, you could do with Google Glass nowadays, just uh, integrating course, that into the same course. thing. Yeah. And that is, I, I mean, mm. this, then you have, you know, the old, the, the, the sort of the, uh, yeah, when they have alternate reality, or you have like the, the AR oh, technology, yeah, that's yeah. a whole mm-hmm. new thing. I, yeah, I've, I've sketched on a horror sci-fi story about sort of the consequences of people being able to filter their perception. It's like I'm going to skin oh, every, mm-hmm. everyone goth. Everyone is going to have super <laughs> gorgeous pancake makeup with the best eyepieces ever. That's going to be everybody, you know. And be great. Because I, I, I find that it is, I mean, we're maybe we're going there, maybe not. I mean, we thought that we were going to be there in 2010, 12 or something. Right. It's like yeah. Some things catch on, other things don't. But yeah, this is this the kind of environment I come from. And I mean, you've heard lectures about me talking about immersion as they, you know, maybe a potential for temporarily overcoming certain conditions and, and so yeah. on. There's not, yeah. It's like, I mean, it's just, hmm. a, it's just a very observable thing I, we fi- I find. It's, it's like, it, yeah, it's like, let's not, not talk statistics or anything. This study needs to be made, I think, you know, I know some cognition scientists would do it. It's like, uh, there was actually the guy, a cognition sci- a scientist, who we went into one of the abandoned hospitals where we made one of the Prosopopeia games. And he went there and he was, he was scared. Both because they had, this is like, it's urban exploration and we're not maybe really supposed uh-huh. to be here at this time and so on. So, and he's very scared of the dark and it's hard. And he's going to play, you know, the badass uh, security guard. You know, it's the Pentex <laughs> security guard is coming into. <laughs> Uh, to get him, I mean, or I mean, he's he's or ridden by um, like some other some other creature. And it's like he's gonna be badass, and it's gonna be this person. 
So he enters in his costume, everything, and says, like, I did not feel my heart rate go up, even though I was in panic before, because I was in this state of immersive and sort of I owned the darkness and I, I, was, mm. I was the thing to be afraid of. And I don't know, this is anecdotal and so on, but I thought it was enough to talk a little bit about because it's, it's a cool thing that I can do. And um, Here's the thing real quick. Just bring everybody up to, up to this point. Um, all that we're talking about is to establish something very important as we go along, but I want to do this to do at least refresh this part. This is done because sometimes we don't get the full story on something. And, and I myself, mm-hmm. to share a story, and this is with this team, we came across um, the potential of, of reaching out to speak with you like two years ago. And, and we were going to, but it didn't work out scheduling-wise and all that. Uh, but I know for a fact that when we were going over it, there was like doing research, there was a lot of people who just had unconfirmed reports. You know how the internet goes. Like, but some of the stuff I heard, though, was outlandish. You were trapping people in, in elevator rooms. There was an abandoned bunker. You forced people to stay in for 36 days without food and water. And you were doing seances and rituals to get them possessed, and they didn't want to do it. It was impacting their religious goals and ideas. And I said to myself, you just talked about doing this LARP, right? Uh, Prosopopeia, I can't pronounce it right. Prosopopeia. Uh, thank you, Prosopopeia, where it involved somebody playing the role where they were getting possessed. And I sat there and went, Okay, when I saw the video of it, I was like, get out of here. All they had to do was maybe 30 <laughs> seconds of research and then click on this and go, it was yeah. a game. He was in. That's, yeah. he was, he, mm-hmm. Come on. But that's what I'm talking about, folks. As you're hearing this, do me a favor and join me on the side of grain of salt. That ignore what you've read on some forums. And if it's negative, odds are, if you can get the other side of the story, just skip it. Right? And listen to what he's talking mm-hmm. about. There's some very... And I will admit this, very controversial, but bold and rewarding things that, that Martin, you've pioneered, that have pushed that experience and boundary forward that has been beneficial for many people. You talk about a security guard. I'm going to give you a very real example. I know a person who was terrified, absolutely terrified of getting a promotion. They're in the same job for 15 years, never bothered to talk about it, said they couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. And then V5 comes out. And I sit down with them and I said, you know, there's this concept. You're big on being a vampire. You can perceive yourself being a vampire. But what about making a character that would do an interview? And he comes at me and says, well, I got to do these touchstones. I got to make it a thin blood. I got to do these touchstones. And then, I don't know, how do I translate the hunger? I said, I don't know. How do you? Tell me that story. It gives you the tools in this book. Your work, your team's work. This person comes back to me after their interview. Right? First, I help them make the character and just, you know, really just confidence. They knew what they were doing. But they came back and go, my, my God, I got the promotion. It, it went even better than I thought. I, I'm more scared now after than I was when I did it. I was like, <laughs> what changed? What was different? It was weird. All that adrenaline I felt, I just pretended I was going to a LARP. And I was this venture ghoul. And I was sent by my master to do one thing, succeed. Do not come back without succeeding. And when he, and when he went there, he just he didn't make anything up. Right, because it's about himself, but at the same time, the mentality was there. That very real example. That's why it's so powerful to see you lecture about uh, that immersion and where it went to, and all the statistics that you know. Obviously, right now is not there. Plus, we're going to put the links uh, to see all these videos we're talking about mm-hmm. later. Um, it's it's amazing. I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted there uh, for a little yeah, bit. No, no, it's like it, it's super super kind words, and it's it's fun that things are still spreading and that people are discovering. It and so on. I'm not always amazingly proud of stuff that I've done in the past. Some things are, I, I'm really, really proud of. But, you know, ideas develop 
and continue and you have different words to describe the same thing and so on. So, um, but yes, it's, it's important to think that I, I tend to think about this stuff. I come from a theater science background. There's a short period that I did that. So mm. it's like I've studied performance and different kinds of human performance. And I think it is, it's a very valid thing to do also for adult people. It's, it's a cool thing. And it's, it is something that requires cooperation and it requires trying to understand each other or, you know, a, a tabletop game is going to break down unless there is somewhat of a common uh, model of mind, model of dreams, what, what's happening. You're damn right. And that itself, you know, is, is something that is, <laughs> that is cool and good. And it's, it, it's a thing that, that makes play good. But that is just one of a gazillion billion things that I've thought about. Then, I mean, the, at about this point in my career, when I've done all of these things, um, I've got the most worthless Emmy in the world as a home defense weapon. And, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I've, I, I've played here on the sort of edge of wraith lore and so on. And then I, there's research projects and, and whatnot. And I'm like, I think I might finally be good enough to write for White Wolf. Um, and lo and behold, the universe provides in the muddy field at the goth festival uh i think nine inch nails were going to play just afterwards <laughs> i got a got a mail and it's like yeah do you want to do the alternate reality game marketing for ccp's uh, world of darkness mmo it's like bring it <laughs> all right <laughs> here we go that was a very good very very good festival um and i mean that was my boyhood dream when i was like shooting the shit with Karim in oh, like 1920 there or something and started building the Umeå goth scene. Not easy in a city near the polar circle. Not near the polar <laughs> circle, but it's, it's <laughs> dark in the winter and light mostly summer. But yes, me and Karim, we were just like sitting there talking about, you know, we were like annoyed with like the salubri, really? Three eyes? Like you yes, watch three times three eyes. What is this? Is that, come on, we can write better than that. And then, then finally it's like, okay, I'm going to do an, an ARG on this. I'm going to add to the world of darkness. Let's go. So away to Atlanta we go. Me and, and Christopher, uh, I think, was there also uh, at the time. And holy shit, there's Bill Bridges. Uh, I'm talking about how Lady Gaga could be a vampire with fucking Justin Achille. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, funny you say that because she was yeah. or played yeah. one. Yeah, the fair, but it was uh, American Horror Story, right? Not true. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Hotel. Yeah. Love that season. <laughs> Don't get me started. Juicing Sisters on Mercy in the soundtrack. Oh my god! Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, that was. It was beautiful. That's when it became like two Well of Darkness series. It was a bit after. I watched it, but I was like, oh, such a V5D show. Mum, mum, mum. But yes. <laughs> but, I mean, were, so, so it happened. I was there. I was talking to them about this thing. And then they were also like, uh, by the way, it's like, do you want to return and do a photo shoot for the, the 20th anniversary edition book? It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh. What do you want to do? It's like, I wanted to be fucking Dracula. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm going to be Tim Bradstreeted as Dracula. <laughs> Which was <laughs> a dream, right? That is a high honor. Of course, yeah. it is. It, it's a super, and super high honor and getting to talk to these people. It's like, and then brushing off these ideas that, that, that we had back in the day when we were active and when we, we did Tone Adup, I did it. Like, yeah, uh, some 
early Nordic style LARPs. Turnadoop, Baptism by Thorns, very 90s. Uh, but yeah, so there, there, there I was uh, doing Dracula and then, you know, going to Grand Masquerade and playing all the Kamalark games and like getting a feel for yeah. like, really, what is it? But I, I, I got, also got spoiled with some really high production value games with some really <laughs> great players and so on. But also the crunch, all the fucking crunch, uh, which I yes. don't hate, uh, I must <laughs> say. I mean, there's a lot of the people who can master <laughs> both the crunch and the drama. It's some awesome people to play with. And there were some great examples of that. It really And is. I was a booth babe with a real Milanese uh, <laughs> full set of armor. <laughs> I was amazing walking around in New Orleans with like, it's... Like, it's a mastercrafted armor. I know some good people and I've been at the reenactment scene, you know, and hand sewing my clothes and shit like that. People often forget that Nordic LARPing is not only all of these fluffy, amazing, touchy-feely things. It is also very, very hard <laughs> on equipment correctness and that shit oh. looks good and is authentic. It's mm-hmm. like, not steel? Uh-uh. Get it going. It's like, oh, this is not made from one single piece of metal. <laughs> but that's more reenactment. Because that, but it was that kind of an armor. Uh, and it was fun. I was walking around in New Orleans with that. I felt invincible. And it was amazing. And it went on, and I talked more and more to Reiner, who was the creative director for CCP, and sort of got to know each other and started mailing. And then at some point, they got into the production point where they were... I mean, I was there when they declared that it was going to be Masquerade and not Requiem. Mm -hmm. I would have been happy either way, I have to say. Mm -hmm. But I was there for that moment <laughs> and all of that you know the, 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 that sort of sense that yes the MMO was going to happen and then you know when they went to the full, full production they were like we want you to come on board as senior content it's like fuck the DRG shit we're doing you're taking you on the team <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's continuous so I got gone through the, the trouble of you know getting a work design for Atlanta because I was going to go to there uh, I mean, I was in Stone Mountain mm-hmm. before they moved the offices. I managed to be there at these early meetings. The, the, the photos were taken there and so on. So I got to see it where the, all the olden magic happened. But now I'm with CCP and writing a visa application to be an O1B, alien with extraordinary abilities. I love that. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, that's the t- and, and of course, it's like the lawyers helped and so on. But, you know, that's the only time my useless Emmy has ever helped me. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it worked this magic, I think. And so there in I go. Uh, and I'm like, okay, beside me, one side, Bill Bridges, other one, Eddie Webb. This is mm-hmm. wow. But now I got to, you know, put my money where my mouth is and do this shit. And that was excruciating work. Really, but also it was a work hard, play hard environment with the Icelanders. Uh, Reiner, fantastic. Jon Celine, if you're listening to this, big shout out, old uh, Swedish LARP Uppsala Sabbat uh, guy who was the lead uh, game designer on the CCP game. Uh, amazing, amazing person. But yeah, I got into their vision of what, what World of Darkness was going to be in the MMO. And, and I had to, like, great pleasure to work with artists and whatnot and design systems for you know how a kindred's presence would over time change an area of the city from being like fresh to more decrepit and so on, depending on their feeding habits and shit like that it's like those systems were, were, were things we were brainstorming on a daily basis and you know writing 
directly into the fucking client. This like uh, small parcel stories that you could find out when feeding and so on. I did break it once. I broke the whole thing once. So we got the wrong reference to something. But it was amazing. And, and we really thought that we had found something. Then, I mean, it is not the, the, this CCP game was made for an MMO. That's a different beast than mm-hmm. what I did mm-hmm. and so on, even though I inherited a lot of it, a lot of art and so on. You've seen that, that is, a lot of that is, is art created by wonderful, passionate artists and fashion designers and so on right. on a fucking MMO budget. And some of them are beautiful. And the ones that we love, we use them in V5 and they're in our art packs also on, on yep. Storytel as well. So, or usually, mm-hmm. you know, that just goes into oblivion. It's like, <laughs> it just sucks away and it's gone that is what usually happens when assets for computer games because this story has a sad ending of course uh, it's we i we worked we we strived and uh, didn't make it all the way uh, before the last round of of technical testing and getting together it was like nah i think bill was there until the bitter bitter end but there you go mm. i was left in, in atlanta playing pool with mike tinney and you know, hating the world, living in the real world of darkness, mm. off, off, off peach tree, opposite oh. of the Carlton. <laughs> in, uh, but in I Atlanta. will say, I, you know, to, to say something to it as well, because I am yeah. a very big yeah, I mean, V5 fanatic. I mean, I came in at the end of um, a Revised, and then when mm. Requiem came up, I got very, very excited about it. I joined mm. it for a while. Mm-hmm. And when Masquerade went dormant and V5 came back, um, you know, that, speaking of, and I'll get to that in a bit, but it was uh, it was everything that was old was new again, right? And I think as you're speaking about what you've done, especially when it comes to like the work that you've done in CCP and mm-hmm. this idea of the hunger mechanic that you know fits within that particular meta, that world that you've created. When it comes to the hunger mechanics and much of the mechanics that came in V5 as you were developing, like hands down, we, we could all say we would translate the hunger mechanic into any vampire game that has ever existed. I think it's one of the most beautifully created mm-hmm. mechanics that just does. But how, you know... How did you know it was right for you? And do you feel that where the mechanics are now was a compromise, or do you feel it's like the masterpiece of what you've brought overall? Not only in terms of hunger, but in terms of what else you've done. Because we see a couple of the similarities between what we have in Requiem and in Masquerade, but it feels so complete to me anyway in this new home that is V5. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is the... I, uh, how did it happen? I mean, that is the question. How right. did the development happen the way it did? Mm-hmm. Like, why did, why did we end up with the hunger mechanic? Let me take you another mechanic, which relates to sort of where we're at in the story, right. which is the resonance, which is blood resonance. Yeah. The idea that not all mm-hmm. blood is created equal. Um, and, sort of it's, and that it does have some sort of marginal effect on gameplay. And if you want to, you could step it up more or less. And so on. That comes from a meeting during the CCP time. When I, I, I looked at this as a progression system. It's like, they go more powerful by collecting, you know, the bauble of a uh, serial killer's uh, victim's left toe imbued with power. And you, you sort of you put it on your shelf and you get more powerful. And this, this uh, you know, maybe a, a rose with the tears of a suicide victim. And it's like, yeah, okay, this is all yeah. very Constantine and cool and fine and so on. But, you know, how about uh-huh. our vampires level up by, you know, drinking different kinds of blood? <laughs> 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 
you know, acting like vampires. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was that like, oh, moment where it's like, yes, we can have him in the, the loot can be NPCs. It's like, that is, of course, in Vampire, the loot is, is the victims. And how do we make this an, a, a moment that works in this medium? Wow. It's like, yes, you do it by differentiating them and also by getting a small glimpse of who they were in that moment. That mm. is where it primarily works in tabletop. Is that you enforce that glimpse of, I am now putting this person at risk, and here's a small piece of who they are, or a lie they tell themselves, or an aspiration or something. And that's how it's applicable. And in the, in the, in the tabletop game, it is a little too clunky, but in the computer game, no problem. You can build right. whole you know, specking mechanics and so on. And if you want to, you can do it in, in, in the game also. I like to think about it in long term. It's like, okay, we need to analyze mm. the feeding patterns of this old motherfucker before we take him down to know where he is that <laughs> exceptional. Because if you always know, oh, he's the, uh, this generation, this many uh, dots in obfuscate, this is uh, how we can discover him possibly. We need to put up uh, uh, platinum nets outside his den and so on. It's like, if you, if you know what sort of, if you can guess sort of where the, your enemy that you're reconnoitering about is extreme because his feet Right. You get into sort of his, the nitty-gritty of his blood system, which is a part of the vampire, the, sort of the, the human uh, system of, uh, in some ways, abuse and, and victimization that has to go on around the vampire. You sort of you, you sewn into that. There's so many story possibilities. And I think the inspiration for that, partially Dracula, which has hints of that. In the Stephen Moffat new version, it's all in there. It's like he's in the camera, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you are what you eat. <laughs> Peter Harness, did you tell Stephen Moffat about V5 and made him do this? If you're listening to Stephen Moffat, was it that way? Because it was at this suspicious time, and I go know a guy who writes for those things. Uh, <laughs> you never know. But it, it was nice have, like, finding a. So that is very much a thing that I find my own, even though it came from the MMO, and there were things like how we were farming your, uh, your herd and your ghouls, and like be able to feed them different kinds of blood and so on. It was already kind of there, took it to like a new level, making it about the feeding, because that's the moment it counts the most. So yeah, that was that typical example of how you can see like, okay, this mechanic, how do these things come about? What is the creative process of both creating, you know, lore, rules and so on? And what I can hopefully do with you guys here tonight uh, is, is to like share a little bit of how that works and how was I thinking? I think everybody does it differently. I think there are some wise mm-hmm. people who do it well and so on. Other, it's like you, want, you look at others and it's like, okay, I love games workshops like enforcement of lore. They are fantastic and they have a really, really good really? way of working with canon mm-hmm. of never decanonizing every, anything, but like keeping it somewhere in a box somewhere. It's like they're great at that. They're not uh-huh. great at choosing the best quality computer games developers. It's like they are just they are farm it out. Anybody, no. you want Warhammer? You want Warhammer 40k? Here you go. Tap some Warhammer 40k for your <laughs> random click. Uh, <laughs> you know, click the bubbles game. Go for it. You know. And that was. It's funny yeah. you say that. That's a that's a conversation I was just recently uh-huh. having with people. That specific yeah, yeah. thing. Uh, hopefully they're changing that around yeah, and, now. But, but that yeah. is typically it is a choice, and it's a good choice for them. It might have been the perfect choice. Uh, because they're a different mm-hmm. kind of brand and a different kind of product. And here's where the next chapter of this story comes in, because as shit, as things went to shit, and it was obvious that this was, wasn't going anywhere. I mean, 
all of these years of not producing tabletop role-playing books because the, all of the work went into the MMO and all the ideas went into the MMO and all the talent was there. Mm-hmm. It's like all of those years and that, yeah, that, that place that I felt I belonged, that was, it had to go on. So I, uh, I called my old friend Fredrik Wester and said like, okay, look, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. You want to buy Vampire? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and he owns Paradox and we had played probably some LARPs way, way back when. There were other people also <laughs> from CCP who reached out to him at that time. So like, okay, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, th- there you go. It's like, it, that, that is how it happened. It was, I was like, we could do this maybe. And I have an idea of how we can structure it completely differently. It's like, I'm not selling you continue doing the MMO. Trust me. Because he would never, ever have bought that. <laughs> so, but it's like, I have, uh-huh. I have another idea. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. And it ended up with me helping broker the deal between Paradox and CCP and, and so on. Because at this time, it's like Onyx Path is just starting up. And they are there you have a lot of the uh-huh. true lore keepers. And so on. I have little contact with them. They exist. But we need to sort a lot of things out now because we have new owners. So I, I did things like due diligence, going through every single product. Is it there? It's like oh, fuck, there's only a very shitty PDF and a strange backlog of this module anywhere. You can hardly read the PDF. Like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're okay with that. Like, fuck, it was just, you know, the, uh, the, the, the were dinosaur. It was just the Macaulay source book. It's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's like, <laughs> you know, we went through a lot of it. And I'm sorry for dissing the quality of the PDFs, but we did then later try to do restoration work on things, but it turned out to mm-hmm. not work and be too expensive or the partner that we chose it was too too bad but anyway here i am with uh, like having all of these meetings on how to progress uh v5 and what is you know what is this this purchase it is of course it's like all of the assets like everything it's exalted it's 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 like Mm -hmm. it's all of it onyx path of course has uh, a ton of other stuff that they have developed later right which are theirs and uh, and all of that but majority of like everything is there. Scarred lands, yeah, we got that, and so on. So just mm-hmm. going through that took time, and making sure that all the contracts were in place, did we have any outstanding litigations, all that you know, corporate stuff. Because the job that I landed was not, you know, I'm going to write vampire. No, it's like this is based on my sort of leadership role in productions and so on. It's a full corporate executive job. You're the creative chief officer. Yeah. Here's your business counterpart, Tobias Schrögren. And together you're going to ride this as an independent company, separate from Paradox. It's like, we know that you need to go dark. That was the thing you pitched us, Martin. That is, that's how we're doing this. So we, we can't be too close and we're not responsible for you. But you've you got to make it work. And that was sort of like, of course, that was a super sound choice to make and, and very generous with Paradox. They can at any time sort of like absorb and take us closer and so on, which they, they did eventually. But yeah, so that like the, the mm-hmm. mission that I have is like we will make an attempt to make Vampire what it was in the 90s, but for the modern world. That is like ah. th- that, that's, that's the goalpost. And to me, that's sort of that's where you begin. Because the Vampire was real relevant culture that was widely spread, penetrating multiple fields with like pioneering forms of, you know, the dramatic, supernatural, romantic TV series, even if we think Kindred the Embrace sucks, like it is before <laughs> everything else. It <laughs> is like, true. it is a prime uh-huh. point. And, that's, and 
like the quality and ambition level, if you compare it to other things in the in the tabletop role playing industry, just you know, quotes by Baklav Havel in first edition. If any game is, you know, the literary student nerd in the house, it it's it's Vampire the Masquerade. It's yeah, it is high culture compared to a lot of other things. Or at least it tries to be high culture. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, let's make it real high culture, really relevant, and as we call it, HBO ready. Because it deserves a mature audience and it de- deserves, you know, attention to detail and, and you know, mm-hmm. realism at one level at least. It must be able to do this. It needs to be able to be the wire with fangs. Be- because then yes. it can also be everything else. Marvel can never, it's like it's hard at least for Marvel to push upwards after establishing a, a, a certain level. They can do it at times with like Logan as an off-brand thing maybe, but it would be hard for them mm-hmm. to push the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe into like, yeah, truly, <laughs> like the truly dark territory or very, very super realistic. And so it, yep. it, it can be tough. But in any way, that is not what, like Vampire and World of Darkness is not, doesn't have that Hollywood polish over it. I think it would do it a disservice to make it in that way. Everybody else is doing that. Of course, this would have been a valid choice mm-hmm. to say, we're going to go for super gratuitous, sexy slick, the underworld, world of darkness. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> do you know the worst thing that I had to do? I found the, the, the litigation against underworld, where I realized that it's like, White Wolf is charged to watch every single movie and point out if there are any copyright infringements. So I had to watch all the fucking underworld movies. <laughs> Pain, oh, no. Deal with me. No, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it is, but no, I mean, it, what, what I'm, I'm preambling is like, I took this very seriously. It is, it's like, it is an IP that to me is like, it has cultural value, real cultural value and potential mm-hmm. to do real things. Um, at least that is where I wanted to go with it. And I mean, this making it sort of for the big time. I know there are creators out there who grew up on Vampire the Masquerade who are now making huge, you know, TV series and so on. Can we find and connect ourselves to those authors who have influenced the genre in itself? Can we tie them to this? Ambitions at the beginning are enormous because that is the only place for me to begin. And then you can have the sort of reality that can kick in and so on. But for a vampire... Nothing but making it to the level of sort of being the second player behind Dungeons and Dragons is sort of good enough. Uh, so that's the ambition the, to to go there. And we thought it was a good time with you know the rise of of D and D and Vampire has always been number two. Um, so it felt like a good time in in, in so many ways. Um, but on that uh, yeah. on that note mm-hmm. um, of uh, design and where where it's coming from. There's part of a build though that comes from that. Like I feel, you recently been running for for Shark Mob, right? For for Blood Hunt. Yes, yes. I how how is that experience um, for you? How's how is that going? Because I mean, you're doing a, t- a lot of talk about MMOs, other video mm. games, the thought process in HBO already, and mm. and is all that tied into what you started doing with uh, Shark Mob, or what is that? I like? mean, this when when we sort of the the network that we were building with White Wolf was like imagine there's a hub in the middle. And that's where the sort of control over the big strokes of the meta plot lives. It's sort of where the this is where the, the shit lives. And that is, of course, it includes <laughs> all of the past books and, and all that. We're custodians of that treasure. So when we go out to talk to, because in a typical day, I would like 
go talk to a computer games publisher about making a Werewolf the Apocalypse, Darkest Dungeon style, uh, turn-based, uh, like, uh, yeah, quite violent game set in, uh, set in yeah. Berlin, fighting, you know, Pentex cops and, and doing point-and-click exploration in, uh, like, in dingy cellars and so on, heavily story-driven, dark anime style. Uh, I would talk to, to those guys and then I was like, okay, I have a call with like a potential person who maybe wants to sign a book deal or a movie deal. And so it's like constantly making sure that you have contact with all of those things. They are coordinated by the meta plot, but also that their needs are taken into account. So it's like if, if you have here, mm. say, a company that wants to make a battle royale with vampires, as we're talking about Shark Mob. <laughs> I think they approached us in 2015, 16, or something like that. Wow. So, I mean, the brand pillars that we created for vampire sort of oh, it's become a bit, you have to look at it a bit weirdly. Was that battle royale really? Didn't you say that this was primarily, you know, a social power fantasy where a nice dress and a like, VIP card is going yeah. to get you further? Than uh, 357, yes, but there's also there are also these opportunities. Here are guys that have worked on the division, uh, like originally, and they are extremely talented, and they have an idea that still fits in within this like sharp new, uh, more real feeling take of World of Darkness. They want to make the one night of the Anarch uprising. And you play that again and again, of course. But it is the one night of the Anarch mm-hmm. uprising, you know, when the nobody knows who is like who's going to live through the night and that moment, and that is what we're going to try to capture. So I'm like, okay, then we need what do we need for this? We need a place where this happened, a reason. We need probably need to tie it in with some meta plot characters and so on. And there you go. This is the reason why you have the conventional prog. And you know, also wanted to give Theo Bell a bit more closure and having put the big fat mm-hmm. load of lead into harder stuff because <laughs> I hadn't come for a long time really. <laughs> so, so that but that was made to create this space for this this event for this game and if you look at the pictures not all of them are from the MMO I mean try and look tonight mm-hmm. and see if you can identify which ones are from Bloodhunt already then early concept in the end of the Camarilla book you have this you know the red rose and then the next page, ominously, boom, Order of Saint Leopold cross sword, right. uh, sort of boom, the kitting up of the face armored uh, SI trooper, boom, burning people in the church. That is like that's shark mob, that's blood hunt images from way back then. For mm. us to mark, like, okay, Camarilla may be awesome, but you know, Second Inquisition is coming up. Uh, there's, and that, that, that's that is how this works. So like. We try to dance this dance with, with you, and, and mm-hmm. in one way we are you, and it's like, ah, where the fuck is the line between being a fan and working on something that you love? This is the dance we do. We find partners to continue exploring this, this world. We have, let them have their creative spin and take an input on it, and then we integrate that and make that whole and true, and then we carry that forward. And that torch is then passed on through all of these projects and half of them, more, 90% are never going to happen. And you're going to have these ideas that were awesome that are then being repurposed by a new author and so on. But at the core of that is also a design because there's no meaning in communicating if you're not communicating something. 
And that was when we built, you know, things like the shark mob metaplot. It goes for a lot of the things that you see there, the beckoning and so on. There was, a, I think, 10, 15 year plan when I left. And it's right there on Justin's table. And like, yeah, I yeah. don't know what he's doing with it. But <laughs> and I hope he adds to it and, and, and so on. We had some conversations about SI and we thought that was awesome and needs a shake up and all that quite early on. It's like before he came on. About that. About yes, there is a plan. There, there, is, there, there, there is that at the core of it. But it's also this co-creative process, and that's, I think, of course, it's impossible as an outside observer to understand those inside mechanics. But through this, it's like I can give you some, some idea of how it works. It, it's some, but there's a there's a dangerous method here, right? Because we're fan sided, and uh, of course, in uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're actually being a part of the business as well, understanding a lot and talking with more people like yourself. Uh, to always give that grain of salt, right? We're, but we're privileged to be in a position where we know we have to do that. Mm. But there is something that I feel has to give voice to. It's this feeling that I always call the elephant in the room when I talk to fans you know, of our, of our podcast. They're like, you know, V5 would be great, but they took away my older powers. You know, they got <sighs> rid of them. Yeah. And, you know, the, the beckoning is the MacGuffin mm. to just get rid of all of them. And even after what you just said, what would you, what would you say to that? I mean, the answer is in your question you got rid of that did we really no (laughs) we moved them to the side because we did not want to kill them in in the uh, ccp mmo there was like post gehenna uh universe like new up-and-comers are rising things are weird with the condition some elders are still left, but a lot of them are gone. There was like named lists of people are killed and so on. And that always sat wrong with me because it's yeah. like, it, that, 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 it's like, I don't know if that would have made it to the finish line or whatever, but at that point it was like that and it felt wrong. I mean, I've always respected Gehenna and the sort of the artistic integrity of ending something that it promised to end and so on. But it, it, it just, it didn't make sense to me. Why would you kill off like the most beloved characters at the same time? We need the player characters to be instrumental and mover and shakers and in there. And also, there were no elder powers in first edition. We were looking mm-hmm. back to the, right. what made this lightning yep. in a bottle That's to a begin with. What were the base elements? Can we find similarities? Do it new, but do it very similar by returning to first edition and early second edition. Those were like, that was where we went for inspiration uh, a lot of the time. And Sort of where, um, yeah, the the beckoning. Yes, uh, <laughs> we did. We moved them to the side, and you can and so sort of because I don't see why we would kill them. And also, we're not ready for the elder book yet. We're going to have a focused first book, focused on new players primarily. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sorry, there were just not enough of you mm-hmm. to make economically viable sense in the beginning. <laughs> now it's getting much much better. And so right, yeah. the old right. fans are activating and returning. That was always our plan. It's like. Start with, we had years when we went to conventions and played LARPs and talked to fans and sort of like talked ideas and so on. That, there was a, a lot of the business was that, like showing that, yes, we're alive. Hello. We are, uh, Martin is trying to sort of channel his, his uh, energies from working with White Wolf in Atlanta and, and have your favorite brand survive and continue to thrive. So just getting that message across, of course, is, uh, took a bit of time. Um, but yeah, the... The beckoning is one of those things that is that primarily, but there is also like there is a real reason for it. There is a there is a story there. There is a, a like a paced story, and 
how fast will it go and so on. It's like that would depend on is there an appropriate medium, for instance, to talk to like tell the stories about the Gehenna War and so on. Can we get down to that? How can we can we do that exactly? That would when I was thinking about these things, I would say like, yeah, we have this sequence, but exactly when it happens and sometimes exactly in what order doesn't really matter. As long as one thing follows another and this mm. logic is carried through and we seed some seeds of it in the beginning. If you, I mean, you can, you can possibly deduce things about the beckoning from what material has been published up to now, but it always mm -hmm. has the same challenge when you're trying to piece out sort of like, what is true in the world of darkness. Uh, and it's a thing that I, I think you discovered that I, I carried forward with great intensity, maybe too much intensity, into V5. And that's the subjective voice, that modules are almost often written in the voice of a specific kindred that are talking yep. about a subject. Even if it's like pages and pages of descriptions of camera politics, it's usually like it, it is a kindred talking about it. So that, that is a, the case a lot of the time. And the interesting thing with lore that are found from personal viewpoints and from, from that is that it's, it's uncertain. You can't know if everything there happened like that. But if it happens like that also in another text, in another book, oh, that increases the credibility of that. Yep. Because there are two observers. And was, did anyone have stakes in lying and so on? And this is a super hard way to write. But White Wolf mastered it during the 90s in the clan novel saga and so on. They yep. are doing amazing work like this. And that is also that is a tradition to, to take on, try to take forward, if you want. It was... The choice to do we have a meta plot was even on the table. Do we do a requiem or do we do um, mm. uh, do a vampire? The, all all of these things were on the table. I, I mean, the the best one uh, I think was okay. We're going to say like this: first, it's going to be vampire the masquerade, but we're not going to tell you which version, old world of darkness or new world of darkness, the next is going to be. Is it going to be forsaken or apocalypse? Is it going to be the vigil or the requiem? <laughs> Find out. That was that was a crazy idea. Uh, not all of my, all of the ideas were great. What do you think of that idea? Mm -hmm. I mean, because it would have fans like, okay, what is going to be? It's like that was almost, it's almost like systematizing edition wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just uh, I, I have a, a firm side on the on the edition wars, and I, I personally love yeah. that idea. I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> but it, I mean, those, all of those things were initially possibilities, but fairly quickly you have to pare it down. And I mean, we went with Masquerade and probably, you know, interpretations of the classic uh, game lines. I think Hunter is going to, I hope Hunter takes a, a little bit from Vigil, but keeps, you know, the Hunters, Hunted, mm -hmm. Hunters. Yep. That is, of course, that, that's yes. like the... Ordinary oh. family with terrible tragedy goes hunting vampires is sort of the archetype. That, that, it's that is funny you should mention that, though, because one of the things is when I was first formally introduced to you outside of, of course, seeing um, the enthusiasm you had to the game was through Red Moon role-playing, where you actually oh. story told for them. And, yep. you know, why this is a perfect segue of it is because we talk about voice and how we had to move the voice away from the elders to give voices to neonates. And in previous editions of Masquerade, going first through Revised to the end, each one of them had a specific feel, right? The becoming, uh, even like in the Endless Anthology, they're talking about the becoming the gothic punk feel to it and such. And I felt as you were talking and telling the story about, you know, this ragtag group of humans meeting these vampires, not only did it feel cinematic, but it gave, 
it gave me as a listener an impression of a new era of vampire because we've moved away from the elders and it seems like the highest you'll ever if you're fortunate you may or may not run across an ancilla but it really is that only that's walking side by side with the mortal what is the difference between either or if it's really more like a spy versus spy feel to it right who's right on the right side of the fence and i felt that was like to me that was very impactful because i, I never looked at b5 that way from that perspective and i felt that was the voice you were trying to give them do you feel that's the same type of voice that you were attempting to present then and if so you know, has that, is that where you're going to proceed moving on to like other mediums that you were aiming for? Or is it just, was that the starting point of the story you wanted to tell? The, uh, yeah, the sort of the closeness to human affairs, the closeness to human tragedy and so on in touchstones and also like the environments, uh, mm -hmm. specifying predator uh, type to that you think about what kind of humans are you meeting. That, yes, that implies a certain street level game, so to speak. Right. right. But no. It is built to be able to take any level of strain upwards also. At the time when the elders come back and see if their house is in order, if that will happen, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that's this, it's everything is a potential setup for somebody to, to, to take further. And it's going to be amazing to see what, you know, Justin and Karim, who, like, we plotted this thing. Uh, very tightly together when he came on and was like, okay, let's. He was working at Content in Paradox, my old friend who I like, I, I vampire bullshitted with in, in the 90s. He happens to be there and, we, and he pitches like some of the seminal ideas. And it's together with him that I develop hunger, for instance, because we were like, okay, remember the goth scene? We ran into a lot of people with drug issues and so on. Right. I don't think that hunger is in any way representative of sort of physical hunger is like oh i'm running out of steam and so mm -hmm. no it is more like an addiction that you can never escape let's make something that we know sort of that we have seen people suffer from and so on and that, that we have experience of ourselves and try to build that into a system that functions and gives the, the that sort of feel that you cannot always count on yourself because you're reliant on something mm. else you, you're hungering for something else your mind is going to be distracted you're going to be you know thinking that people are fantastic, yes, because they can give you your drug and they, you're yeah. going to make mistakes right, because right, of right. these errors of judgment. Can we get that into the system? Not only make it optional, but like, like mandatory to go with vampire as written, not vampire as rule system. We looked at first edition as like, uh -huh. we're reading these things about sort of the beast and humanity and the addiction and so on. Are they well represented in the rules? Or can we touch it up so it better represents the, the writing and the, the story world, at the, the core things and so on. But with that, we always had the idea like, yes, we begin on street level. My first idea was like, we're only doing thin bloods in like a starter box kind of thing. And then it's sort of, then it's like a proper vampire next thing. So we, like, really, we, we wind, wind our scope because that was the first, like, get new players in there. Um, Thin Bloods is all they want to talk about. But yeah, yeah. The, that, that, that sort of thing, we made it so it can go on. But in Red Moon role-playing, it's like it does touch upon some of the heights of power and so on, on the vampiric organizations. Um, it does. This is set slightly pre-Fall of London. So it's like the, the mm -hmm. like Queen Anne still, is still around and like it is, it is that mm -hmm. place. But it's the second Inquisition's first bumbling step to get in there. And like having this opportunity to 
maintain a connection to Vampire over all of these years and playing with you know people like Redmond Roleplaying and Anna Karin Linder, my wonderful friend, also mm-hmm. Stockholm by Night player there. <laughs> uh, and I mean, having people taking the vision super seriously and making it their own and just running with it with that extreme seriousness that I love and really making it feel like this is a British procedural series with vampires. <laughs> I it is, so, like, that yeah. is, like, that yeah. is what we're going for. That's completely what we're aiming for. And that is very V5. There was once a show called uh, Ultraviolet, not the shitty yes. movie. It's BBC yeah, I show called yes. Ultraviolet. Yes, I know it. They have movies. So, but yeah, Ultraviolet. Great, great story. So, a fantastic uh, like, uh, series, like miniseries, six episodes. And that inspired mm-hmm. a lot of that sort of choosing to make it British, choosing to make it there, but also like the, the Red Moon guys. Uh, like have a great insight into Great Britain. I think the period there, like slightly after the London bombings, and there's a lot of weird xenophobia in the air, and uh, London is being sort of changed. That there's protests against the banking system and so on. It's like some of the last anti-globalist uh, movement protests that we see on a big scale. It's like the Seattle uh, age, and sort of starting in that like the scene of radicalism that I can relate to, and like. And, and have the investigation from something like, oh, they're looking for a terrorist. And then layer by layer, slowly and very patiently, sort of saying, what would it be to see this from the outside? What do the vampires look from the outside? Right. And, like, and simultaneously you have the thing about discovering what she is and with growing fear, sort of realizing it more and more and accepting it and so on. The third season is uh, almost closing now to catch the thrilling finale. <laughs> Uh, it is. It's a closed. It's a closed ending. We might do something else in the future, but I've also been waiting to read, uh, uh, you know, Kenneth Hyde's uh, Second Inquisition book before right. getting out. Right. Just like yes. 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 Before reading that, before holy shit, Ken Hyde, <laughs> Mr. Vampire Killer. Oh man, it was so nice <laughs> to get him on, him on board. Uh, I mean, Knights Black Agents. I read that, and it's like it is a yes. crime. That this I'm a fan is of that one as well. <laughs> So, uh, uh-huh. that, that was that was amazing. He was first like, "You want you want me to write for what?" I mean, he, he because he wrote <laughs> the whole thing. A lot of us wrote parts of it. I mostly wrote, you know, that big ending, uh, like big intro. Mm-hmm. There's in-game letters and so on. That's me and resonance is me and uh, character creation. This bloated chapter that is unfortunately also me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, but Ken Hyde wrote through most of it, like to give it a consistent voice and so on before editing. And so it's like it really a lot of the systems and so on. That is pure him and Karim banging their heads together with Carl Bergstrom and so on. Whereas the lore is sort of by me and Matthew Dawkins and you know core concepts with, with Karim also. Um, but it's these constellations of people's special interests, you know, gel together in a really nice way. So you can see, like, if it's about alchemy or about vampire killing, it's Ken Hyde. It's 200% Ken Hyde. <laughs> ah, okay. So he's responsible for that. I mean, oh, but if it's Thin Bloods, if it's Beckoning, if it's Gehenna War, uh, like, if it's, uh, yeah, Resonance or anything that is, like, we are super, super connected to, to now, it's me or Johanna. Uh, in the basement, probably. Uh, I'm glad you say that. Yeah, yeah. I have a, yeah, yeah. a question for you, actually, about mm-hmm. Thin Bloods. You said something interesting <laughs> yes, a little bit course. ago, like there was the idea that they would... To it. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm definitely bumping them up yeah, on my yeah. listening uh, queue after this. But uh, you said after after the idea of you know only only thin bloods mm-hmm. was removed. Uh, what what uh, place did you have in mind for thin bloods in mm. in the V5 update? Um, to me, I see vampire has represented you know the the the, the spectrum of gothic monsters and supernatural creatures in literature in mm-hmm. idiosyncratic and unique own ways with takes on them and so on but they have borrowed you know from everything from you know hellraiser to Anne rice and so on mm-hmm. but there's also yeah. and but after that it's been imitated it's because it was that big cultural influencer i mean the world of darkness documentary is basically mm-hmm. about that sort of the hidden influence on 20th century pop culture that this had yep but um yeah, the, the Thin Bloods came in for me. It's like, it was, I think it was a little bit of missed opportunity back in Revised because this is, you know, uh, this is Lost Souls. This is Poppy Z. Bright's uh, half human goth, vamp- like, right. drinking vampires who, like, are like sexually progressive and having all, all sorts of inter- in super interesting relationships and written by this super savvy. Uh, expert on real goth culture it's like it should be real they should be you know the that really really bad friend you have in the scene that you're not almost there to to approach because you know they're the bad news but has a super mm-hmm. cool apartment somewhere it's like they are the ones that are super integrated in society they have always been there in in vampire fiction uh, but they were not really properly represented i think in vampire in a good way so i love thin blood it's like because taking an IP into the future, or if universe is a better word, but taking a universe into the future is, is creating opportunities. Uh, and it's like, mm-hmm. we have this opportunity to tell stories about vampires who have a gradual fall. They don't instantly mm-hmm. become like, nope, you're like, you know, an inhuman beast, eternally, it's straight away, yeah. bam. It's rather this, you know, the gradual suffering and the body horror, physical slow transformation into the, the a dead person. Or maybe even a thing that also exists a lot of the time, uh, but never has in Vampire. Like, it's not too late to turn back. There is a moment when you're in there, in near dark, the girl who gets embraced there and, and, and that so on. Yes. It's like, like the dude. And then, then, then it's like, there is period of time when it can be reversed I, I hate being able to reverse true vampirism but isn't it interesting yeah. mm-hmm. to be that guy who looks into the dangerous world uh you know the whatever you know social circumstances shouldn't be and you're dipping your toe in there there is an exit if you don't get addicted and drawn into this lifestyle if you don't you know mm-hmm. it's drink the- long enough you get absorbed long enough you, there is a way out so all of these things, like, and you know, also day raids, and like, how the fuck will vampires exist today if they can't ever, 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 at least you know, run through daylight a little bit? And the thing for <laughs> that place, right? Was, there was defensible in canon, and also since it is like we are touching upon Gehenna themes a lot. Also, mm-hmm. I, I love that a lot, and Dawkins love that loves that a lot, and. Since we're sort of in the opening moments of a Gehenna of some kind, is what it to me seems like what it is. It's the opening moves. And if we're there, the Thin Bloods definitely have a place. I mean, they're a part of the prophecy and they're a part of the whole 
the time of thin blood will happen and it's it, it will change vampiredom somehow it is intimated on like in 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 the j old sources so let's mm-hmm. take that train and that's like let's explore them let's give them their unique niche and their their unique position maybe make them like better caters it's like the the there's a social outcast <laughs> that can go somewhere that have some unique powers and so on because the mix and match yeah do you think uh, that's method a, of the powers of the thin blood alchemy is that it was meant to, to come in as a as a tool to draw to the dark side and the want for power for thin bloods just to kind of bring them in what was the what was the the uh, the, the initial conceptualization and draw of just mm. the thin blood alchemy itself yeah, again, it, it's alchemy, so you cannot hide has a finger in there because he's very knowledgeable <laughs> in that. And of course, it asks a question, like, where does this power come from? It's like, I'm not absolutely certain mm-hmm. about the absolute power levels of it. Um, I know we're tweaking, like, it, it's useful and it's toolbox, and it's meant to give you sort of a very scrappy here and now approach to sort of how you cook these things up. I think it was some things in Promethean that inspired me partially. There were some, there are some weird things mm. you have to get hold of and so on in, in Promethean. So, but there is the question, of course, like, is there another source of power? Is like, is the alchemy part or the blood yes. part? Where is the emphasis in this sentence? Is it, you know, blood, al- blood alchemy or is it blood alchemy? <laughs> how really you disciplines? That, that that's I mean, but that is that is uh, that that's Kenneth Hyde has to answer that question. But the weird and unusual and bo- it's like game changing powers of the Thin Bloods. That I mean, it come, does come from the revised edition. A lot of it we only like okay, this is an opportunity to make this like large type of vampire playable and cool and interesting, and let them get really close to humanity in a way that other people cannot. And for instance, as Ellis in, in No Man is an Island function mm. within an SI unit. It's like she can mm. actually pretend to be human for a while. And there are interesting stories there uh, to be told. We just miss them. And this is the thing. Open it up a bit more and somebody else is going to tell the best Thin Blood story in the world. But again, that started as a part mm-hmm. of an early discussion for, for a computer game the, the, in, in some way. And yep, then it yep. became an obsession of mine. I was like, I'm really, it's like, I'm loving the Thin Blood stuff. And I do love what they did with the Thin Bloods in Sabbat uh, also. I did not come up with that idea. I wish I had. It, it, I think it's quite neat. Um, on so, the, um, you're, you're, a small note, you are the only second other Masquerade player I've ever met that has referenced Poppy mm-hmm. Zebright. And uh, that comparison alone is is made me decide to take a second look at the yeah, Thin Bloods. Yeah. But uh, you just mentioned the Sabbat. Yes. Uh, and I've got kind of a um, burning yeah. question for you. So the, the Sabbat's been up, well, mm. updated a bit, right? Small changes <laughs> for, for the V5 setting. Small. <laughs> um, but it was, a, uh, it was a fan favorite, or at least there was a small contingent, uh, at least, of Masquerade players that enjoyed it a lot. Um, why do you... Th- think the move was made to make them like officially like uh antagonist i was gonna say antagonist but like yes yeah um the sabbat is like personally i have to admit i'm as cam anarch as they get that is my scene that's uh, okay that's my thing but i I was always very very aware of the sabbat players and you and selena as i said upsala sabbat so and great things and i of course I, i sort of i understand the draw on some visceral level but 
I'd never really, really got them. So what do you do then? Of course, then you talk to Karim. It's like, yes, he has an idea about sort of how scary was it in first edition where you have no fucking idea what this is about. Mm -hmm. And there were just these inhuman things. It's like, and you didn't understand what it was. And, you know, then the book comes out and it's like, okay, it's like this. And then it progresses and progresses. And, and at some point it's like, wait, did the, did the Sabbath like evolve to insane clown posse version of the Camarilla? It's like with, <laughs> with, 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 you know, with religion, is that what happened? Because this was super scary to begin with. And I think that was something that we're mm -hmm. all ar around. Like the Sabbath got to be really, really scary. It's, it's, you've got to, it's going to be disturbing to read to read a Sabbath book that goes into the level of you know the de de depth and focus that we have in V five in general, going in close, and like like yeah, dealing with like how would this work out in the real world? What social consequences would it have? That shit is going to be very grim. But yeah, so I, I was like, who can solve this? I don't know. Um, who would, what's the best writer in the world to do Sabbath? And at this point, we were talking to all sorts of people. And it's like, the, I think one of the, the things that I really regret didn't happen, one of hundreds, is that I was not like, okay, let us contact the man whose work has inspired a lot of the Sabbath. Let's call up Clive Barker and ask Clive Barker if he wants <laughs> to write the Sabbath. So, I mean, I've, I was in meetings in his mansion with his people and talking about the possibility of doing that. And this is like not beyond the realm of reason of, of trying for these things. But that was my solution. It's like, if somebody can get a good new taste spin on this, it's Clive Barker. Right. So, and that's sort of where I mm -hmm. kind of left it off. Of course, there's a position, a logical position for the Sabbat in the greater B5 narrative. But that has been filled out by, you know, other people. Uh, there, of course, you can see that they have an instrumental way of being there in the Hanna War and so on. But again... Please observe that it's like they're not away, they're not taken away, they're not being like nuked forever. No, they are at the front. They are in places where we could imagine the Sabbat and lifestyle to work. That would be the places on the planet where they gravitate towards. And some like, yeah, conflict zones that it doesn't involve super high technological warfare like Syria and so on would be places mm -hmm. where you could get yep. away with that. Maybe you can yep. do it in some parts of the, uh, of, of, of the US. It's like, I mean, sometimes there are places that, that works for us to see like, okay, here is a hidden conflict between really fucking old vampires and the Sabbath are happening there. So that would be the Gehenna war front. And that's where we sent them off because that's always what the sword of Cain has been sharpened for. That mm -hmm. is the thing we are here to slay the gods that enslave us. There's like the ones that it's like, we are, are rebelling against the thing in our blood and we're going to kill it. We're going to kill the sort of all of the ones that stole the primal power of Cain. And like, th th that is what they're here to do. So it's a logical consequence as I see it, but that is where they're going to end up if you start Gehenna. And it's like, to mm -hmm. me, this is again, it's in the realm of territory. We're like, I know a bunch of ideas that I have left and, and you know, Karim is there. He's like, he will never forget <laughs> anything. He has his extreme sharpness. He's, you know, as long as he's there, I'm comfortable that reasonable things will be done with the, the plans that we made together. And Justin Achille is going to be able to do fantastic things with that, I hope. And, mm -hmm. and, and so on. So, I mean, 
it is uh, it, it is one of those things where like we remove them to be able to return them when we have something that is good enough and cool enough. And I think that, I mean, it, I've given up on trying to sort of guess why things are done because not even me knowing these people mm -hmm. know exactly sort of what the strategy is. I can see very logically, it's like us going at some point, it's like, okay, look at how it's done in, 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 oh no, in, in first edition. That is how we originally do it. And then we start to roll it out, refined with new focuses and so on. And lo and behold, the first thing for the Sabbat was an antagonist book. So just because mm -hmm. they do it exactly the same rollout as they did the last time around, it doesn't really preclude the, the possibility of there being a playable version of this. They don't want to say it that right now. Maybe they are a bit like, you know, burnt child scarce, uh, scared of the fire. Maybe they think like, okay, having yeah. players play this right now after all the shit that Martin dragged us into, not a good idea. <laughs> but I don't know. I think they're smarter than that. Uh, like really, I do. And I don't think they care that, that much. Uh, the, the, thing that, the thing that folks said, though, is I think the fans were... The, the truth is, is what they're not saying, but they really are with their heart. And it's that you love the Sabbat so much and you took it away from us. Mm. by saying it's a protagonist book and there was no guarantee mm. to say the player's book was coming. You may have heard that after the fact, but you know how it goes. If it wasn't in print, you didn't get it in ink, what are we to expect? Mm. And that's the, that's the dominant driving force. And to that end, we got to remember the Sabbat that they've released, the protagonist mm. here, it is the vision you're talking about. You know, just a Karim and you had is, you know, this is where it's leading to, even with the thin blood being this violent uh, worshipers of the sun type of thing they got going on, mm -hmm. is this weird work cult. It fits the Gehenna motif. Book of Nod talks about it. The multitudes eating the elders, right? Going at them. They never said those elders were the ancients in the future, right? That could very easily be the camera lanterns and whatever. We don't know. But that's the fun of it, right? As you said. Yes. But it's hard for the fans to see that bigger picture understanding why let me get to the point why is it that when the company releases a book like that they have to be able to i know you anticipate that there's gonna be some pushback because oh they're not it's not the player's guide what's going on and i thought to myself an easy fix would say hey it's coming yep right you know it's coming that's all they were looking for i was trying to rack my brain why you wouldn't say that even no, if i mean i get it, it never came yeah i, I get it it's like, no, I mean, you, you don't want to do that. Uh, I mean, announce something that then later doesn't get revealed. Of course, it's, it, it will happen. Shit will happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, fans yeah. get to see a little bit of, you know, those enormous amounts of progress that fail because some fail <laughs> after they have been announced. Most fail, you know, at early alphas and, and stuff like that, you know, or, or even before that mm -hmm. concept stage. That's where most of these amazing amazing things that i wish that had manifested i mean they're just gonna gonna drop out fans are realizing that but i think that i mean what i can hopefully have, have i would have tried to do a little bit here is like explain the many components that go into a puzzle like this it's not you know it's not only a sequential series of role-playing modules that of course. Are meant to drain that that market which is a niche market it's also like products that prepare the setting for other products. Maybe there's a TV series about the Sabbat in, in the production. I have no yep. idea. So there are all these other very positive forces. I mean, for, I think at least for me as a fan, I'm ex super excited at the prospect of 
I, I was I was delirious when I was like, oh, there's a, a vampire comic out again. <laughs> and it's like, and it's actually mm-hmm. really V5. It's like, it really hits the tone. I was ecstatic because I loved that, that there was that, all, all of these things. So what's happening when, you know, people are being cagey and so on, it can just as well be like, eh, can't, can't really talk about that because, you know, those guys are working on that <laughs> right in this moment. I, so I would never make assumptions. And because believing that you can construct sort of a plausible explanation why an event that is happening and sort of being juggled around in a boardroom at Söder in Sweden by eight, ten people and a number of consultants and so on online, day in and day out. And, you know, somebody gets married and some have kids and some someone gets a flash of inspiration and realizes that the Sabbat was always about candy crush addiction and then they go for it no. <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. but the things that go into creative processes are not you know easily quantifiable or, or possible to put up in a schedule or and as much as we wish it there is no holy diamond construct that is here is the true world of darkness yep. and when you become lead storyteller creative directors cco what have you you get to touch the black stone and all the true <laughs> knowledge of the world of darkness will come pouring into you and you'll understand <laughs> the absolute fate of everything. It is like, it has felt like that sometimes. And you know, that stone exists and it's about three times four meters large and fits into a very, very, very large bookshelf and it's mostly green. That stone exists, but it's not an easily accessible, you know, little diamond that will possess you and give you the future. We transported all of those books from Reykjavik, by the way, because we also got all of the physical copies that were left to pick them up. And go there. So nice. It's not easy. So it's like, I, I, I hope I can <laughs> shed some light in like, the complexities of, of when people are trying to make something amazing to enjoy and ride along and so on. Everyone has their own style. Everyone has their own method. But there is a plan. I mean, there is, there is this story. I think... Everyone takes the stafet thing and they go on running. Yep. But those steps that I took, those first, you know, stumbling steps on the V5 road, and finally like, oh, I arrived at the first destination. Here is, is V5. It exists. I made a fucking edition of Empire <laughs> on this so sort of, to the great detriment of my other work, because I was sucked into that and absorbed, like few things have absorbed me in my life. That book and the sort of, the realization that, yes, these are all of the current projects and my interactions with the fans and all that, they go into this. And it's built to create the possibility for a future and to build upon. And that's why it's incomplete. It's also to make it have all of the holes for other creators to slot in their parts. Uh, that, that, is, that is why we began with the very small thing. It's like, if you want the whole bonanza, everything and so on, it's like, 20th anniversary edition exists and is great. Mm. And if you want to run something that is truly canon, if you care about sort of exactly where we are and so on, run it in the 90s or in the yep. early 2000s. And you're absolutely on point because that was the thing. You know, I looked at what Onyx Path had done in the years in between, so to speak. Even as we were making the purchase, I was, the, you know, commenting on stuff in Lore of the Clans and so on. It's like sort of trying mm-hmm. to get it ready to like, okay, there are like, oh, if you read like the, I think it's the Kaitiv texts and some others, there's like some blood resonance references. And when we come to Beckett's Jihad diary, 
there's this big discussion on metaplot. It's like how deep are we going to go? Or which are we going to keep the canon characters? Which are the best ones? All of that work. There's so many documents around this, trying to find the best. And then we look. I like I. And then Becca Jihad Diary is there. It's like, okay, no matter what you think about complex, convoluted, and like deep and intricate metaplot, they can sometimes get truly crazy <laughs> and, and meaningless. Right. Like just word salad almost at, at some points in, in the history of World of Darkness. But look at this. Look at what this insane person has done. It's like managed to collate all of these unfinished strains of, uh, of, like, of metaplot drama and turning it into something that is like a really good point in the way. So we want to do it that way. It, it's like to go... Th- and so that also is like, it has hints of the Second Inquisition. It has yep. uh, other illusions and so on. And then, of course, bring in Matthew Dawkins with his knowledge as sort of... Yeah, so we can do things as right as we can when it comes to referral to intricate metaplot details. I read about uh, maybe 70 to 80 of the modules and like all of the clan novels and so on during this time. But it cannot replace the kind of expertise that you guys have. People have like tried to decode these books for years and, you know, Bob running it for such a long time and so on. So it's like, it is, it is a super cool thing to find someone like Dawkins who has the same kind of mind. It could, I guess, just as well have been you, but I mean, that's, I don't know. No Dawkins, you're amazing. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> Dawkins is uh, forever my rival in the best of ways. So yes. it's, it's a good thing. Yes. But that is, we can, we can <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Would you say um, it's safe to say that, uh, that really nothing is, is out of the picture until it's hit by a drone strike? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That is pretty much pretty much that. It's like, of course, you can't. It's like it, it's it's hard to build only on moving things because it gets cheap after a while. You have some things you have to commit to, and some things you have to say like, nope. Here, there is an actual change that is kind of irreversible. It can go in interesting directions, but it's like this is going to be a shakeup. Of course, all of these things are like Gehenna warrants are hyper destructive and and. Um, yeah, with very deep reasons that's going to change stuff like deeply. But this is like this is very concrete. Um, so yeah, um, where was going? Going was that? Where was I? Going well, I was with uh, that? Um, a lot of that uh, to, to really to really get <laughs> yes, the, the drone strike. Uh, the drone strike. Remark. We were at the drone strike. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. Uh, it, it's a pretty bold move to mm. uh, kind of take down like what is a. A strong pillar of the, the Camarilla, and, yeah. and decide that we're going to move that forward yeah. into V five, and we're just going to do it by, yeah. you know, this what people said was impossible. Uh, this one bastion that's unbreakable, the bulwark, it, it just snap yeah. and it's gone. I remember, like at the um, Berlin by Night festival, there was this such. Super diehard Tremere player who came up to me and gave me the snow globe, Vienna. I still have that home. And it's like, I'm like, you poor man. You don't know what's coming to you. Um, no, there's, I think the logic is from, from my side, like why I, I thought like that again, Kenneth Hyde's idea of killing a buttload of vampires in an unconventional way was good. Is that I think that I've seen the Tremere sometimes come to a position where they are a bit difficult to play and a bit difficult to include in coteries on a sort of on a nice way and be true to yeah. their writing. 
uh, especially that and sort of their extreme hierarchy and the, like the, their filthy pyramid and so on. It locked game in in the in the, like in a very harsh way. And I know some players love that, but it was it's it's hard for them. They can I think what we wanted to do on a larger sense is like yes, they can be that, but they can also be this weird fucking blood witch, like variant. So it's like it's blood magic. Sort of we can we we can look closer at that. Tremere are not the only on, only kindred in uh, in the world of darkness that are using blood magic. There are there's there's other yep. strains of, of this. As you we can go, we can go deeper. <laughs> we can go deeper on this. So that is that's why that happened. And also to give real power to the second inquisition and say like, no, this is not a joke. It's like when you mess with intelligence agencies around this sensitive time and with the developments that happened in in surveillance technology and sort of the way that suddenly we were super interested in in uh, you know personal information and so on both with the war on terror and later sort of yeah the marketization of private data and so on it's like we need to, need to give weight to our respect to the development of the timeline and this was a very clear and yeah quite brutal way to do it but you know no drone strike just comes out of nowhere and so on it's like i hope that some at some point we we get to like hear the super detailed uh, like action report plan of like how it went down and so on and lo and behold there are little easter eggs of that maybe in a certain game which features a lot of the second inquisition so in blood Hunt, it's like I, there are hints there there are some there are some there's some more use in there um and yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the si book coming out who knows who knows mm-hmm. but yeah no it's like sometimes you gotta make you know some you, you gotta make something different um and sometimes i think that a sort of a hard hard cut is necessary um it's got, for it to be different and for it to de- develop and so on. I haven't seen too many absolutely crushed Tremere players. Um, I mean, I think a lot of them <laughs> see opportunities. And there's also, I mean, there are restoration efforts. And First off, needs to be permanent. you don't you crush Clan Tremere. No. You never crush them. <laughs> what you've done... Clan Tremere crushes them, you. You get them to say a liturgy of, like, you know, what my favorite part about this bureaucratic condemnation Mm. There's dedicating chantries. There's you can't even find it. How did they find it? There's none of this. Mm. Don't forget the path of technomancy that we own. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say now, as you've backed the out of game, I want to give a little defensive, mm. quick, quick defensive point to it. I want folks to go back and read about Sejanus, right? You remember this is the Lysandra Methuselah <laughs> who pretend, pretend to be a venture prince for a long time. Why would not you look at Sejanus? Mm-hmm. He was at the number one place with the best opportunity to control who. And what's the problem now? The Second Inquisition. Now, if when I think of anything that made logical sense as to who would have dropped the dime on the Prime Chantry, mm. oh, I think Sejanus, like immediately. Now, why I'm going to say that also is if you go back and look at that book, there was an extreme rivalry between the only clan that could rival him in his control of the mortals at the time, mm. and it was Clan Tremere. Now, why I'm going to leave it there? I could be dead wrong. But before you say... Oh no, Thaumaturgy Supreme, you can't stop this. Wait a second, Sejanus existed back in Rome, so much so his mortal counterpart, which was an inspiration I had to have been for who it was, mysteriously died under circumstances for daring to rival the Emperor's popularity at the time. 
he, he remember, if you look him up, he was basically killed and thrown down the steps out behind where the emperor sat. Now, you don't do that to Sejanus. He doesn't get to go and be the Prince of Venture, and then you decide to rival him at Tremere. They should have been historians. They would have a prime chantry right now. That's my, that's my belief. Right? That's how that works. Um, yeah. Potential. Yeah. You know, when you, they, absolutely. And that's, this, is the, this is the beauty, that some of these exist in a, in a state of creative Schrodinger's cat. It's like, we don't know. Yeah. There could be a perfect plan. It's like, we have to assume that we give our trust over to the ones that are just sort of shepherding these things. Beautifully and said. It's, it's artists that are here to take you for a ride and who does so with everyone's best interests in mind because we want to build successful worlds that are loved. And sometimes that involves like, okay, we need new players. We need to de-emphasize some complicated details here. Uh, sometimes you're successfully communicating ideas, sometimes less successfully so, but it's always, you know, that struggle to keep going and to make it in- interesting enough to break through into the mainstream and to become relevant and to sort of let more people discover this. This thing that made, you know, so many, primarily women who wouldn't ever have touched the hobby to see these like mm-hmm. books that are by comparison hyper inclusive. There's like, there's all sorts of vampire. Everybody can go, you know, can get dead and hungry. And that, that's always been a thing. It's like, how do we continue these things that we love and that have done amazing things for us and the hobby? So I always think it's like, when you're assuming things about developers, I think assuming that they're trying to do like a really, really awesome thing, but it's a difficult, difficult job. It's a, a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And it's also, and it, it can be a heartbreaking job. The cat. That's uh, it's 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 terrible of me to see this, but it's uh, it's an excellent segue. Um, I, I know that you know a lot of this has been said on a lot of ends. I promise, Martin, it's uh, not designed to bring up just old wounds, but it'd be impossible for me not to talk about um, the Abbott blight. You know, on uh, November seventh, uh, twenty eighteen, that the cam guide comes out. This idea of the Abbott blight. I, on that vein of understanding, it was from a place of, of pure intention. Um, I would like to know, I mean, we all would like to know, like, what was the intention of that chapter and, and what, what was the goal? Where did it come from? I mean, the story that, that came out that was told among the fans, which was quite rapid and it was uh, and blinding and deafening in, in a lot of ways. It happened super, super quick. Um, and that, that was... A, there, there was this super major concern that that text was insensitive. That there was a release being made, white text on black background from, you know, from Paradox at the time, just absorbed, uh, absorbed White Wolf, and uh, there it says that this text was super uh, intolerant and hateful and so on. And I think a large segment of American fans, not being aware of the full scope of this story, which I hope we're going to get into. They sort of they saw it automatically as like, oh, here's a like a homophobe done something wrong. Maybe Nazi gate was correct after all. Maybe that dog with dice guy really nailed him there. When he find out the 88 dice roll, that means Heil Hitler. Yes, Martin put it in there. Very crafty of you. And that call sign, uh, 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 blood and souls. 
No, that must be blood and soil. Uh, that's that. That is clearly that the reference. That it is not at all an Elric of Melniboné reference. Do you even call yourself a nerd? But okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know this. The what? What? So that is the story that most people have heard. Yes, this you know outrage about terrible, terrible, insensitive text. So, I mean, let's just talk a little bit about the the, the journey and so on. I think it's super important to remember that it's easy to become upset and angry and so on in, in these situations. Three years have passed. That's a long right. time to sort of like take a breath. And, and, and mm. sometimes that is suitable. Sometimes, you know, an elder's patience is necessary to talk about really, really serious things because things are about to become really serious in this conversation. Right. Um, and it's important. It is. The paradox that existed then and that sort of yeah, prompted this, uh, this response and so on, it's not quite the same paradox that exists now. And even if it is, I can understand their actions from their perspective. Super important. I, nobody badmouthed paradox of what they did. It's understandable. Plus, nobody was responsible for what happened to me and the, the sort of the, the, the moves here. They're not with the company anymore. So... There is, there is that. But yeah, let's get a bit deeper into sort of the real, real story of this. So what, 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 what have you, when you so, started scratching, scratching the surface, what, what, what have you found? Yeah. Well, getting at this, it's, uh, well, what the fans heard, you know, I'll tell you exactly yeah, how, yes, how we heard it. Yes, right? behind the text, like how did it come right. to that is where we're going to start. Yeah, it was well, a, it, it's, a, it's a car ride in the mountains. And we're talking about... And we're talking vampire, and we're juggling around the sort of the idea of influence versus control. There is this, you know, there's this thing. It's like, okay, how to tastefully do vampirical like interaction with the powers of the real world is influence, and like influence that does remove you from moral responsibility of the thing that you're influencing, in like in a sometimes in a terrifying way. It's like. You need to keep human trafficking going to meet your feeding needs. That's a real ongoing human tragedy that happens every day. And vampires are sure as shit responsible for making that happen. Influence or not, it is a thing that mm -hmm. happens to, to people in this world, uh, in our real world and in the fictional world of darkness. And that's we, we, we're okay talking about that. You know, so we... We need to see, like, okay, how, how, how would influence work? And then I think I said, like, okay, imagine there was a country on Earth that was being run by, an, like, an extreme form of Camarilla or something, like a vampire conspiracy that would run a country. Let's break from the mold and say, like, okay, this usually doesn't happen, but in one extreme case, which country would it be? And someone said, Chechnya. And, uh, like, I start looking it up. It has just recently been featuring in the news as, yeah. you know, in, in mm -hmm. completely atrocious circumstances as they're being organized detaining and sometimes killing uh, of people from the LGBTQ community, like in schools and swimming halls and so on. And it's like, I'm like, hmm, okay, interesting. And I start looking into deeper and I find it's like, okay, it's this fascistic pseudo-Islamic state run by a like, crazy dictator who has a 
biker gang, like strange fascistoid biker gang that is super anti-gay and it denies that there are any homosexual people in his country. Okay, we're onto something here because when I started this pro process and I, I, I was like, let's make vampire relevant. Let's make vampire a voice in culture that has a meaning and an impact and reaches far. And here I said like, okay, this is a typically example of that. Because while that exploration of the dark side of the real world could be gratuitous or disrespectful and so on, here's something that you can put a light on that not everybody knows, and it can maybe spark something in someone. Because what they want, what, what Ramsam wants is silence. What Russia wants is silence. Nobody talk about this. Do not mention that there is a part, an oblast in our Russian country that systematically persecutes gay people. It's terrible towards women. It's a little mini hyper dictatorship protected by Putin, originated from like extreme yeah, groups of terrorists through a civil war, separating from Russia, then being reabsorbed again and now protected by the Russian Federation. So I was like, okay, this is a, a place with strong enough culture, the, the tape clan culture and so on, that this would maybe work. Write it up. It was written up. We looked at it. And the first time I read that text, I like, I almost puked. It's like, oh, it's harsh. It is very, yes. very dark. And it's, it's terrifying. And I felt like this is what I would like B5 to be, be able to do. But it was put on a pile and sort of like, okay, let's keep it there. Maybe we'll use it it's like for later if we feel we have the context to do so and so on. So we, we like time passes. We managed to make, you know, V5 before GenCon and get it printed and there and everything is like, hallelujah. Mm -hmm. It was impossible, but we did it. And it's like, it only has a thousand weird reference errors and the chapters are in a bit of a funky order and i have so much to critique to give to v5 myself if i mm -hmm. want to, but that's not what we're doing here we're talking about what happened next and in the we sort of coming out of of you know nazi gate madness and realizing that okay there are some fans out there that are going to have legitimate concerns about sort of the direction of their, their game and being afraid that the Sabbath is going to get nuked and so on. That is super valid concerns. But there will, there's also a group of fans here that are super afraid of us and who are sort of, who seem to be actively trying to misunderstand what we're, what we're saying, or we're being really, really bad at communicating. Because there was a thing that we decided upon, which, I mean, I'm critical towards because when you do not manage to convey something and communicate something through your text, that is a failure on me as a creator, as like not being able to get it across in a clear enough way. But we trusted in a lot of subtlety in the file. It's like we write that this is a, like this is a mature game, even like some references to the X card, I think, was even in the first version of that, that book. But mm -hmm. it's quite light. It's not like here is your guide to how you run your super scary, deeply immersive, hardcore, socially real, politically charged, sex-soaked games. Because I trust people to seek that out if they, if they mm. need it and want it and so Correct. on. Because it, it, you're able to read yep. the book just from that, you know, okay, super dark shit is going to happen now. There's an R rating in the back. Okay. That was, but that, this is me and this is, might be an antiquated perspective. So I was like, like, Maybe we should have been better pre-phrasing 
what we meant because come mm -hmm. around time for the Cam, uh, Cam and Anne art books. We're sitting there in a similar situation. Christmas is coming up. We sort of, we are putting things together. The books didn't really become exactly what we wanted them to be. Initially, they were meant as like bigger format art books with these uh, letters, beautifully hand-penned, uh, layouted letters and so on. But there's simply no budget and there is no time to do that. So we sort of, it is a bit of a sausage ice cream because there's some game material in there, but not enough sure. to be a traditional game book and so on. That's the explanation for there. Again, it's like, it's not always, it's sometimes accidental circumstances that affect you. But here we're like, I looked at the Camarilla and it's like, this is a very harsh portrayal of a quite dark sect, but it's like, we need some more relevance and also we need like 10 more pages. And Freya, the editor, comes to me and is like, oh, here's the Abrecht Light. You forgot about that one, didn't you? And I'm like, holy fuck, yes. This one is, this is, this is harsh and it's good. And it's like, it's very critical to a gay-hating dictator. And, you know, these guys think that I'm some sort of weird Nazi person, maybe. Or at least some people are telling that story. And I think there's a right. big difference between people actually believing it and people spreading the story for whatever other reason. Yep. We know enough now to know that that sometimes happens. You know. So we mm -hmm. sort of, I'd, I'd written off that critique a little bit as like 50% of us being a little bit unclear, 50%, okay, there's some intentional malice somewhere maybe, but I don't know, I might be wrong. They might truly read these dog whist whistles and truly believe that, that I'm this person. But that should be plenty disproven by, you know, these books that couldn't possibly have been written by anybody other than a leftist. I mean, the anti-fascist action things <laughs> in the in the, in, mm -hmm. in the anarch books and like the multiple sort of people of all sorts of orientations and nationalities and like we go really in deep and like vampires all the world and it's everyone and it's like you have a place in it and here the anarchs if you're young in the like now you're gonna recognize some things and it's got it's like it's you can't really see the nazis in that book i think with any stretch of the imagination it's it's hard to do that Right. So, and then, like, yeah, the, the, we're like, okay, bit, like, the time is ready for this one, this. There were some editing of the text. And, like, to make it like, okay, we need some other perspective. It's not quite hard to find. There's, like, I think it's a little bit separate at one, one point. There's, uh, there, there's a text that sort of says that, okay, even if these, you know, um, yeah, these, there are, of course, it's the, like, first there's the, 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 the offending sentence that I wish that we had sort of like written in a different way. Quite simply that. It's like the, um, the systematic killing and torture of uh, uh, like homosexual people in, uh, in Chechnya is a clever media ploy to, from distract, uh, to distract from the true horrors of their regime and use Sharia law as a smokescreen. And sort of, and that, uh, and then it goes into like, and so if, if like you know, and and even you know, kindred are, it, who, who like are openly gay will be fucking killed in this country. But if you get some people escaping from here into your domain, it could be valuable information on this bizarre place. This text is written by an Asamite, uh, like an old Asamite, maybe even like borderline elder. He's uh, uh, so, and he comes from. A time like presumably the 1800s and before where his attitude doesn't have to be you know hyper fresh and <laughs> 20 right. 17 you know yep so 
and he's still a bit like, okay, yeah, yeah, they're killing like the homosexual people, but it's like even he is like a bit taken aback by that. This, you know, immortal, arrogant, old vampire. So, and there's this another addition to the text in the end, where it's like maybe one day I'll be able to return to my homeland and like tell the truth and so on. And these things were supposed to be clearly notes on top of a report which makes it clear that it's very, very much in character voice. And this did not get through. And the moment that I realized that it's like, oh no, we had, and it's like this text was written with input and collaboration from a person who has escaped from this like terrible position themselves. We did do the, our due diligence in researching this, even having someone from who like, has been in this situation look at it and say, like, it is good that someone is talking about this. That was not enough. Still failure of communication. Damn it. Okay. Hmm. Uh, what do we do now? And it's like, okay, I guess we have to sort of like, yeah, well, I guess we have to include tons of explanatory text and like, okay, we really, these are all in-game perspectives and the voice of a fictional character is not to be confused with the voice of the author um, or something. It, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking to me to see that. It's like, this is the moment when a lot of the hopes that I had for, for Vampire and World of Darkness as something that could enter the, the, this, the, the cultural discussion in a real and powerful and like impactful way. Talk about the horrors of the world that maybe inform someone. But at that moment, it felt like that, that just can't, can't be done because... If you read things like, you know, the, the devil reads the Bible, then you will be able to, you know, find atrocious perspectives on things, especially yeah. in the world of darkness, which will touch upon these things because we are in here. We are here. We're monsters and we're exploring that. We're, we're doing it on all sorts of different levels. It's going to be things that are offensive and, if we can't see that that is within fiction. These are the things that went through my head. And then I was like, am I actually wrong? Am I actually totally wrong? And I've made a, like a, a fatal misstep that might even have hurt someone. But let's... Uh, and then, that, yeah, and that's, that's sort of... So, so yeah, that, that's, that's the moment when I start looking for allies. But yes, you... you so we're reviewing the V5 book. We're looking at the yeah. Camarilla book. And yeah. we're checking it out. We're doing our notes and due diligence and... Mm. Chechnya comes up, and I have a pretty, I have a very politically active uh, brother um, who's a speech professor for university. And of course, I go to him and I go, Hey, um, Chechnya, I, you know, there's a lot of, I'll admit, there's a lot of misleading news in the US. And by the way, that is the reason this gets crazy, FYI. The reason why fans took it as supporting and belittling the atrocities against the LGBTQIA community in Chechnya is because. When you put something in a written book, I mean, we've heard of many written books of religion. The moment you put it in the book, you give a platform from someone to die in a hill for it. That's what happens. And not everybody does it, but there are enough people who choose to be triggered before they know the full scope of the story or even the context that this is where it happens. And you hear this in the U.S. all the time. In fact, we have a saying. If you want to keep friends, you don't bring up politics and religion for the very same thing. Not uh -huh. everybody has read everything. 
and definitely in Sweden and pretty much Europe, everyone is politically minded. That that's what they do. It's it's a hobby for everybody. Spend time to know about your where you live. And in the states, we're there's so much entertainment in the right now idea and everything else. And we're driven towards two things really: racism, which we still haven't got a hundred, haven't got it right, yeah. and we're still battling sexism. That's still a very real thing. We haven't wrapped our head around it. And we still haven't dealt with, as a nation, LGBTQ 100%. Like, we are just now getting to a point where that could be a thing. So when this comes out, there are many elements where I was I was screaming that I wanted to make sure that when we do this book review, we go, I, I think it's ridiculous. The authors have to put so much material to say that this is fake. Do you really think I bought your book thinking that the camera is real and running around and this is what's going on? Yeah. Like, what, what idiot actually yeah, thinks that? Yeah, but I think that is a bit... It's 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 a bit too like too simple. Like okay, the onus is always on on the person who reads the book. And so I'm like, no, things it's, are offensive. Don't, things don't can be. Like, you're coming from the side of you're coming from the side of being through any whatever. But I'm I'm a fan. I have a right to state that I've been through it too. Mm. And I was over here battling the fact that you can handle every other atrocity that's ever been thrown at you in horror, written or video. Or, or anything. Everything is fine. That's child rape, child pornography. That's, uh, that's actual rape. That's actual beating people. I'll show you, how, about, how about the fact that there are Southern pictures of, of people standing around smiling as a family while they lynch a black man? That was real life, and people tolerate that as, that's history, and that's okay. So we can use that in fiction. That's, that's okay. And that's something that will never go away. But hang on a second. It's it's Chechnya and it's completely fake and it's not not Chechnya's fake, but the book article is written from a fake perspective from a person that doesn't even exist for the pure purpose of entertainment. And there's warning labels everywhere explaining that you said this game was designed fee five to be for a mature audience with understanding that this is depth and material you brought about. Uh, spread, help spread Nordic art to let people know there's a way to know in a safe space. Session zero is a literal watchword. And a couch thing that everyone has to their sessions now based mm-hmm. on Nordic Clark principles to talk about what could offend you, what's in your game, and what you could have. You did every fail-safe humanly possible to say, hey, this is just an entertainment piece. There's nothing here except if you look up what's going on in Chechnya and you went, man, it's messed up what's going on in real life. I want to donate. I want to draw attention to this. I didn't even know of it. Because let me promise you, you're, the fans, most had no idea. I mean, I'm... I'm I'm positive people. Mm-hmm. The LGBTQ community certainly did because it affects them directly to know what's going on, right? It's a scary thing. And depending on where you're at for that, just like it was to be black and go to certain places. I know personally. And the simple fact is, is that with that there, the unfortunate thing is that here you go with like, okay, here's awareness in a time when it had to be, right? Because mm-hmm. timing's the thing. And that's why I'm giving dates here yeah. to follow on when the, the book's released. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this, uh, I mean, first we're in this... Uh, in this situation of, of heartbreak of like, have we done something wrong? Is this like, were we truly like, did we truly like make a, a real error of judgment here? And I did what I usually do when I find myself in this conundrum. like, who could I ask that is like an authority on this and could speak to this and maybe help us out or whatever. And it turns out that Marsha from Pussy Riot is <laughs> speaking in town exactly <laughs> during these days, you know, after the, the first explosion has happened, the black letter has not yet gone out. And it's like, so I go there and there is video of this on, on Facebook. That's who has her whole conversation, like whole long talk about how she's been in prison in Siberia for nine years for 
playing a, like a lesbian punk song in an Orthodox church. And you know, and so this is real. Enemies number one. Yes, of course it's real. And I it's wanna... like so. I I go there uh, and I, I afterwards when it's like time for questions, I raise my hand like, "Hi, I'm Martin from White Wolf. Uh, we're in a bit of a problem right now." And I tell her what we're doing, and she's like, "Yes, fucking Chechens are vampires. Let me tell you things that you don't <laughs> know about sort of the regular treatment of women, uh, like under the regime that exists there now." And I was like, "Okay." This did not make me less inclined to publish this article because she's basically saying like, yes, you're doing a cool thing. During that conversation, I meet a couple of people who work in NGOs, active in Chechnya and so on, and start talking to them. And they're familiar with the thing. It's like, yes, Kommersant, Russian newspaper. I was like, wait a minute, Russian newspaper? Okay. Called up a representative mm. uh, of, of the Russian LGBT community early in the morning. And it's like, here it's this text about Chechnya. It's like, it's offensive. Yeah, I think it's offensive. We're like, okay, let's try to get them on the phone and explain the full picture. Maybe we can right. get ahead of this and like explain where we're at. Because of course, this, this misunderstanding. So now I'm like, okay, Russia. You said Russian media had gotten involved. Okay. The game has now changed. Nobody, not, not a lot of people in in the US and so on at this point is aware that this is now blowing up as a new story in Russia where they really do not want to talk about the atrocities that are committed in one of their member states. So I, so I said I was given dates and it's important you talk about the Russian media because the book gets released November 7th. It is November 16th, 2018 when this Russian video was made Based on the fact that the, uh, the Chechen- books are all printed and the PDF versions are right, and like this, this is on. Yeah. The the Chechen mm-hmm. Secretary of State uh, goes on the air defending President uh, Ramzan uh, Kadyrov's uh, portrayal uh, in that in that section uh, of the book, and it's and it's interesting because what they tell you what they don't do, and folks, we're including this video for you to see it for yourself. Um, in this video, they talk about the fact that immediately. When it's brought up, you see the White Wolf Vampire book go up for V5. It's not even the cam guy. They didn't even get the right book that the <laughs> article's in, right? They don't even yeah. do that. That goes up first, <laughs> and then immediately start off by saying, we have removed terrorism from Chechnya. There are no terrorists in Chechnya. 17,000 terrorists have been removed, and that's what we've done. 50 countries couldn't do what we have successfully done. Now, for anybody listening, that's, that's an impossible thing to state that you could. How could you possibly know? That you got everybody. I mean, a lot of times we won't even get into it. You, ideology is in the mind. Like, so how do they know? Right, a hundred percent. That's a bold statement. But then you add to the fact that okay, you're not even addressing what was said. What you're saying is immediately you roll into the fact that this book was a, is a propaganda tool used by the Western, well, based the U.S. to bash Russia, specifically Chechnya. And it was shocking to hear that because when you're looking at it, you're like, at least get it correct. It was Ramzan Kadyrov that it, that it went at number one, and it did a horrible parody of him in that regard, using some very real truths on purpose to draw attention to something that is ongoing, and no one's talking about it. And and that's why it, it was it was done, in my opinion. Some artists took license, creative license, which are perfectly in their right to do, to showcase entertainment, uh, but. Part of that entertainment piece is to research what it is that, you know, what, what is it that they saw, what's going on. And if you choose to, plenty of people read that section and went, ah, maybe I'll use it, maybe I won't, and then kind of rolled away from it, right? But uh, those who got it, got it. 
And the terrible thing is, during this broadcast, they slam, they just slam uh, this book stating that this is the tool using to poison the world to Russia. And it's, it's complete bullshit. And it's, yeah. and it's all this stuff. Like it's fake news and everything else thrown in. But even they have, a, they have a guy there who starts laughing on the air. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, are you seriously saying this? Like, this is a fictitious book made from a, a small company that's fictitious. Uh, well, the company's rule, but the, all their content's about it, nothing real. Nothing. What, what's going on? What are you really saying here? And the Secretary of State drives this home. And where they bring it from is they, they basically say, you cannot talk bad about their, their, their leader. It's that simple. We've heard this from another country, too. And we won't bring in the politics, but you could look at Korea. There's some interesting stories about that, that they're, they're under a dictator. When it comes to that, and yeah, it's a and scary it, thing. It, 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 it is that simple. And here I'm now in a room in Paradox, and like people are dragging me into Zoom. Like, Fuck, you got to see what yeah. it's Russian TV. And there I'm standing, mm. and I'm like, okay. Because I've, I've known that the Russians are involved, and it's like, it's, there's more and more press. At this point, I think it was up like the ninth most popular piece of news in, in Russia and you know the Ukrainian fans want to make a statue of me. The Russian fans want to kill me. And it's right. like, <laughs> you know, there's this is it. It's and the, but in that moment when it went to the level of you know Moscow sixty minutes because that's what this is. It's like it's a it's a very very popular debate show that Absolutely. is like it's going out everywhere. And I'm saying like okay, they're doing what I could expect Russia to do. They are using this as disinformation internally to take away from the focus because they do have tiny, tiny free press like Commerçant and a couple of others that are like actually a bit brave. And they started talking about, you know, the the real issue of the oppression of like a, spe- a specific group uh, of right. people. And Putin also, I mean, he, he also has very, very shady positions on LGBTQ rights. He's hmm. super fishy. He's like, oh, like oh, no, no gays in Russia. That kind of vibe. So yeah. he's now, it's like, this is now on Russian TV. This has gone from Chechnya to being like, and, and then the sudden I realize, now I'm on the edge. Now I'm in a position where the, the thing that I love and that I'm working with is now touching the real world. And it's touching people in real power. And it's being there, and it's, and that moment is like there's an extreme calm that goes over me, but also like the adrenaline starts pumping because it now it is, you know, what has happened now is that this text has somehow, in some way, maybe through being talked about on the internet, maybe through something else, it's like it's ended up in the hands of fucking Ramsan Kadyrov, and I could never say, okay, it is real now, so. We now have an opportunity to sort of like to make this happen. We have the opportunity to stand up against this guy, and we can make this happen by sort of contacting these human rights organizations. We can work with Pussy Riot. We can come out and say like, yes, vampire takes a stand against real evil in the real world. It's like we educate you about the darkest corners in the world. We're going to shine light where Putin doesn't want us to shine a light. We can be that that thing that is the sort of that's the thing that's going through me it's i know it's make or break for that in that moment will we be able to have this are we truly highbrow you know any novel could be set in the in this systematic ongoing atrocity a a serious novel um, 
by like a lauded novelist could be there. Why can't play not be there? Why can't we explore these things, learn even more, uh, get that going? The thing that when I read the Anarch books for the first time interested me in like in things like syndicalist politics and anti-fascist action and so on. That comes mm -hmm. from there, you know. And if I can do that for someone or even, you know, talk to dictators, talk back to dictators from this platform, that is a thing that I should do. So in that moment, um, I tried to pitch it. It didn't work because if you're going to do this thing, you need people behind you. You need to be there. You, we need to mm -hmm. pull out for each other. I mean, it, it's because it's going to be hard and it's not a position that's going to be easy to convince a company to take, of course, because it's gone this far. We've already had these, you know, uh, fans who have attacked us several times for different kinds of reasons. What could be right. honest misunderstandings or, you know, be a clique of people who are just fucking don't care what they attack as long as it works it's like it might be that i do not know whatever it is we have this this insecurity paradox have newly taken over custodianship of us they are scared as shit understandably so so when i come up with you know the conviction that this is the moment that sort of that 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 validates that the artistic creations within this world have some value and relevance that that that's going to be hard to listen to because both is like I was sad, I was broken, I was I, like I was not in a good emotional state, so I couldn't How sell could it you? well enough. And there, there you go. Mm -hmm. The next day, the the mood in the office was super strange. And it's like here's a text I want you to to read. It's like we, and I, I see like when they try to tone it down, having come come all the way, and it's like. This text was insensitive and, and like horrifying, and you know, and the people who have uh, who did it have like shown lack of judgment. And we always talk about like we're always on the side of, on 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 the side of the oppressed or you know, something like that. But it does nowhere say what they are sorry for. It does nowhere it says right. like this was insensitive because it fumbled the presentation of the LGBTQ community in this circumstance. The thing can be read as much as, you know, an apology for sorry we pissed on you, Ramsan Kadyrov, sorry we called you a thin blood, sorry we called out yeah. your dictatorial regime. That same thing can be read into the message. And that's, you know, that was not, not, not a good day. Um, at all. It can't be, and here's here's the thing, you know, because November seventeenth, the next day after that Russian video of twenty eighteen, it's it's when they decided to they're going to remove, pull the books and remove the content. And what what sickened me was that fans rejoiced, right? That did happen. There were pages were like, yeah. oh yeah, we won. Look what we got them to do. And I was like, you do not know the full story. There is no way that 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 is what it is. You, you're telling me that the power. That you believe you, okay, I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to challenge the internet to do their worst here. But what I'm saying is, is that there has to be a level of understanding that hearing the full picture, understanding the circumstance now, you have to see the insidiousness about the propaganda a nation can come up with. Because think about this. Are you saying that like a thousand of you who misdirection, half read, weren't even interested in vampire, you just heard that they were bashing LGBTQ. And of course you jump on board and say, not them, screw them. 
I don't even like that. I don't even role play, but screw that. Great impulse, but right. Yeah. Of, of course, yeah. it's 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 a knee jerk response. Python scene. What are we doing today? We're stoning that guy. Grab a stone. All right, I'm on my way as well. Yeah, yeah. right. And, but what it does, just, what it does for. Uh, I won't say Russia. First off, I'm going to state this part and make this next part. This is not an interpretation of the Russian people, a very proud people, a very tough history, a very proud history yeah, from the New York accomplishing then. The Chechen people. Correct. It's like it, it is, it's a depiction of mm-hmm. their system of power, and this, which is dictatorial. It's, it's their struggles, really which they... It's their struggle, and they've, they've known a lot of a lot of terrible things in that history. You can read about that. I'm not going to make that a platform, but I am going to make this statement, and it's that all right, so since we know it, it was not about attacking Chechnya, it was not about attacking Russia, it's about saying there are injustices, no matter where you're at in the world, that you should not tolerate. You should not tolerate at all. And that any means that you can draw attention to or help out, and we're not asking everybody to go broke. We're not saying you should have marched and got on a boat and went over to Chechnya immediately. We're not saying any of that. Mm-hmm. We're saying, though, that if there's a there's a company that's like, oh, here's this book and blah, 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 um, go, hang on a second. Let's let's research that a bit. What are they talking about? That sucks. But then immediately go and you, and to me it was logical sense to go. Do you really think that company is supporting the destruction? Look at it greedily. Okay, look at it as a capitalist. Do you think a company is going to go like their editing team or marketing team went? Well, we're not going to watch what they print out. We're just going to let it go and blah 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 blah. No, what they did was it looked back at the products they released before that the fans loved and enjoyed. Have you heard of Black Dog? Hello, the Zemisi clan had a vagina mouth. On it when it first came out. Like, we're talking, uh-huh. there's a huge leeway for these fans, obviously. And they know it's all fake, so it's all good. But this wasn't an issue until it got skewed, right? That's the important thing. And what happened is the knee jerk response was spin doctored when it hit this, this 60 minutes that they were talking about this video. And they were able to twist and spin it and throw it back and spit it out uh, in a direction where it said, those people whose hearts had good intent to defend the LGBTQ community no matter what. I'm, I, I was one of them. I was like, eh, we got to look into this, but that's bad. We should have thought about how that would have been. And man, I really hope there's nobody in Chechnya that's really, and you read about it, like, oh, there is. Like, oh, man. And then I thought about it. I was conflicted. You know, as an artist, this is, and then I went, wait a second. Wait a second. Look at the warning level. Read it. It's from a perspective of a vampire. It's the perspective of a, doesn't exist. And you immediately go, well, right. They're drawing awareness to it. And then, you know, caveat. And meaning, do what you're going to do with this. We want you to be aware this terrible thing is going on. And uh, we, we care. And that's why you have awareness of it now. However, that's not what it got spun to. That's not where it ended up. And what it is, is a company had to protect itself. That's what a new regime's going to do. They're going to immediately go to protect itself without investigating it. But, but Martin, you, your team paid the price. And that's the thing that, that bothers me about it. Now, it, it can bother me, and it's fine. It is, and sure, you're about to water in the bridge. I get the stance you have to take, but the stance I'm taking is we need to wake up when it comes to being fans and get smarter about the fact that, yes, we write about the, the world darkness is written about, and we could pretend to be these creatures in it, but there are very real evils that exist in this world that inspire writing to it, and the fiction exists to not only be entertaining, but it's to be with the times. If you need more proof, Stan Lee has always, always wrote about the times in Marvel. He stood on that, that that's where he got his material. You are not wrong in what you did to write about the times, especially when you look at the timing of this and how it went down. There's, I, 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 I mean, I followed this sort of what was happening in America and so on at the time, around the, the time we were making these books, because it was a super interesting time as a European and as an outsider and as, you know, 
a socialist to look at the US and go like, fucking finally, it's like, you get it. It's like, you're yeah. starting to get it. Like, you're the politician <laughs> that I can sort of recognize as a politician. It's like Bernie Sanders uh -huh. like started to come there and like, yep. shit, there's not, it's like, this is the time where sort of awareness of patriarchal structure in, in systems starts happening. And it's starting to like an investigation into something that is uniquely American and, and that is like, that, that, that's hard for Europeans to understand, but you know, the, a, a country that is built on industrial scale uh, slavery, that is like, it's, it's, that's gonna, you know, of a specific yep. group, that's yeah. gonna take some work. But you're starting the work and it looks awesome. But then, of course, also, it, so I thought, like, this is the time that we are writing Vampire Fifth Edition in. It's like, no, it's like what people are also want to do good and they want to be connected with the real world that is happening right now. And they can't, they're not going to buy that vampires are not monsters. In an age when we're looking for social predators who are using their privilege to victimize other people and so on, no. We put that in the book and we make predator types that are, you know, recognizable and so on from, from the real world. And we make the comparisons. We live in these times when America's waking up, rudely waking up from sort of, and starting to analyze things in a different way. And that's going to make people passionate and interested about these things. I had not quite expected the, the sort of the tactic of, of, of part of the left to be it is absolutely verboten to talk about the systems of oppression and sort of like, and, and to go into detail and even mentioning them could be dangerous and harmful and so on. And I listened to that. It's like this discussion that goes on in role-playing a lot. It's like, what is too sensitive? What can we touch? What can, can we not touch? This mm -hmm. is also things that I've thought about deeply. And I just want to tell you about the sort of when I was convinced that it's like, okay, this is possibly a thing that you can do. And they was doing the game Just a Little Loving that I, I played. It, it's, it's been run, I think, 20, 30 times. And it's about a super rich New York uh, marketing guy who every uh, 4th of July has like all of his fabulous gay friends over for the, like, the wildest party in his villa in upstate New York. That's th th that is the setting. But the years that we are playing... One day after the other, in the first day, we play 1981. In the second, we play 1982. And in the third, we play 1983. And you don't need to know more than that to realize that yeah. this is a game about love, death, and, you know, an inexplicable pandemic intolerance of the culture that, uh, mm -hmm. that is like surrounding the, your best friends are dying. This is that game. This is the Angels in America game. And I was like, this is super good and hyper-touching and it has really like succinct and terrifying mechanics. Like the burials are horrible and like the act breaks where the angels go around in a hat and you put in like, if you've been promiscuous, it's like put in two notes with your name. And if you're like, yeah, and if you fucked more than 20 people, it's like you put in five of your name. Um, whomever the angel of death draws, these... He has it, you know. Yeah. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, of course, it's like I asked myself, like, is it okay that a bunch of, like, guys and girls, mostly white middle class from Sweden, are pretending to be, you know, th this community from this specific time in American history? Is this an okay thing to do? 
because it was run by activists. It's, it's the, you know, it's framed perfectly and it's really good, but I can't really know because I wasn't there. So I called up my old friend, uh, Michel Rihak, who worked for Arte Television during my television days. And he was a dancer for Madonna in the 80s, right there in New York. And I said to him, why don't you and your boyfriend go to this game? And I told him a little bit what it's about. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. And after the game, I'm like, I pick up the phone and I talk to him. And I'm like, I'm super nervous. This is going to be like really angry. Because, you know, LARPs can go a lot of ways. LARPs can be shit. And, and you, yeah. if they are shit, it's true. This, like, it's this, I'm just, oh, super nervous. And he's just like, we start talking a little bit. And I was like, yes, and this was not what I expected. And I'm like, oh, I'm getting a little bit worried. And then it's like his voice breaks. And it's hard telling the story without my voice breaking. But it says like, oh, to me, this was one of the most beautiful uh, like memorials for my friends that strangers could ever have done. And it's like, it was like, it, it felt true. And it felt like people were taking the effort to try to understand what it was like to be there. Uh, and that to him, that, 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 that touched him. It didn't work as well for his boyfriend who's younger, hasn't been there, but it really did work for him. And he was like, thank you for this. And I think that sort of at that point, I was like, okay, it can work. It can, it can, be, it can be true and it can be, you know, a gift and it can be educational and, you know, for these people, guys and girls, to, you know, grab big fat dildos as, you know, the emulation of their big fat dildos and go to town in a dark room and so on. Twin simulated sex and, you know, the, the, the love affairs and the glorious dancing and the conversations and the, the conflicts with the, the sort of the straight guys over there. It's like those things are invaluable it doesn't mean that we lived through it not in any way not in any remote sense it's arrogant to believe that just because you've seriously played pretend about something that you've been there or done it or something but it is an homage it is an it it is a it is a it's done with true well-meaning and holy shit of course a lot of people uh, like a lot of people come out of the closet, they discover their sexuality, they try it out, and it's like, oh, oops, what's going on here? This is for real, man. That ain't for real. It's like, and of course, it's like it puts people in situations that maybe, maybe wouldn't have explored before, or at least learn about mm-hmm. an important part of our recent history. I was, I mean, I'm young enough to have been, like, early dating was du- uh, during HIV for me, and it's like I know. The, how strange the world was and what the people are affected by this. But yeah, this is a long way of saying that I, I, I feel that you can do these things. I feel that you can approach real world subjects as long as we don't actively try to misunderstand the intent. And as long as we like, we, we can clearly, not clearly, we can, or at least we can ask like, Martin, are you trying to help Ramsan glorify Ramsan with this text. Is that what you're doing? Because at the end of the day, it's like when you're there, and I know that a lot of people who was like on the other side, there are no sides in this. There's yes, you know, there's us fans and a strange thing that happened to us when our world of darkness brushed up against the real world in a very, very real way. And us who, through the 
loss of market economics and through our love and hopefully through our skill had ended up in that position where your, in this case, to make a world of darkness metaphor, where your elders and we're like we're, we're actually now engaging in the real jihad of the real world. We're actually trying to make yeah. a little difference in the real world. Right. That is how important this brand can be. And in that short moment there, we saw that it is true. This thing did end up on the desk of a dictator who loves to be this you know, fascistic like biker dude, even dresses in armor sometimes and has a beard and it looks a bit like a typical vampire larper would do. And we've messed with him. It's like we're <laughs> talking with him now. And But I regret that it's like it couldn't be done in such a way that we were all on board with that. Because that would have been different. Instead, it's like in many situation where I'm sitting there silently and looking at Two groups like trying to destroy me, each one ignoring the assistance of the other. It is like my, your enemy's enemy is not your friend. It's like your enemy's enemy is one mm-hmm. of the like, like the biggest active systematic killers of homosexual men on the planet. That is your enemy's enemy. Um, yeah. Um, and of course, that's not wasn't the intent. I don't think anybody signed up to go on that war. And but I think it's easy to act super fast, and it's easy to act with just being reactive and just going with the flow and so on. Because we want to be a part of the mass of people that make positive change, and it's enticing and alluring to use those methods. But we have seen time and time again, unfortunately, there are people who maybe. Maybe they're not meaning it. Maybe they are so fanatical that I cannot exist within their revolutionary faction. And therefore, you know, my revolutionary faulty faction must be exterminated. And we're in life of Brian again. My parents lived through mm-hmm. the leftist <laughs> wars of the 70s, where it was the same thing. Maoists versus Trotskyists versus blah, blah, blah. Crazy. Yeah. But it happened. Uh, it, it, it happened the way it did. Paradox, no matter who was there, I don't think could have dealt with it in any other way. I could sure have dealt with it in better ways. Um, because, yeah, it could, could, have, could have gone otherwise. But well, I want something to point out. I have a, I have a suspicion, yeah. a deep one, and I'll back it up. Um, if you look at the dates, this is March 30th, 2021. Uh, the U.S. does a, a country report, right? And this one is a 2020 country report on human rights practices. This is targeting Russia, which there are numerous uh, infringements uh, for for that nation that were reported. And it says, as posted by the United States Department of State, and I quote, credible non-governmental organizations and independent media outlets published reports indicating that from December 2018 to January 2019, local authorities in the Republic of Chechnya renewed a campaign of violence against individuals perceived to be members of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and intersex LGBTI uh, community. According to the NGO uh, Russian LGBTQ Network, local Chechen authorities illegally detained and tortured at least 40 individuals, including two who reportedly died in custody from torture. According to human rights organizations, as of September, authorities failed to investigate the allegations of reports of extrajudicial killings 
and mass torture of LGBTQIA plus persons in Chechnya and continue to deny there were any LGBTI persons in Chechnya. Now, the important thing here, remember me telling you in a Russian video, they said we got rid of all terrorists. Right here, they reported to the United States. They, this is Russia reporting to the United States that in Chechnya, they had, there are no LGBTQIA plus persons in Chechnya. They don't exist. Now, I got to ask you a question. This is everybody listening right now. Really deeply consider this. On a 60-minute show, the Secretary of State of uh, Kadyrov goes to bat to say, there are, no, there are no terrorists here. Okay? And now here's this report in 2020. Like, that was like 2018. And then there's a report in 2020 that there are now, that there are no LGBTI uh, persons in Chechnya. And that chills my blood. But the only reason why I think there was a pause, remember it said resumed. There was a pause. There was a period where it paused. It was from November of 2018, right when all this happened, Martin, is what I want to say, right? And then it resumes December 2018. So after they put their foot down and did what they did, it then picks up again as reported. Now, I want to tell you something. This isn't a tinfoil hat conspiracy. This is looking at data and seeing what was reported that what happened. And we're going to give Mm -hmm. everybody the links to follow this trail. What we're talking about here, Martin, is that you and your team did good. You did good. You brought awareness and got it to stop. They had to hide whatever they were doing, fearing an investigation. You know they did. You know they did. It is, it is one possible explanation for one, why they went after us so hard was that there was you know, a planned schedule to follow you know, the buses and the addresses and the strikes that the police were going to take these people into custody and so on. They were already planned and there was, that was why this was extra annoying. Um, but it's like, we can't, we can't know it is like we simply cannot know if it did any we, good, if it we did can't. bad. It's like, but we can know that it put attention to it. And that is the last thing these fuckers want. That is the absolutely last thing they want. Mm-hmm. That is why Kadyrov says there are no gay people here. And, you know, the Russians reporting the same thing. That is, of course, a, a complete lie. That's sort of, and that also allows him to continue these things. It's a complete lie or a chilling truth. Of, of, I mean, of course, he's trying, he would like to try for that. But hopefully, it's like the eyes are on them so much that they won't attempt anything on any kind of scale. But that is only if you keep, if we keep eyes on them. That is the only way that works. Yeah. And if you, if you take, if you, if you say that you can't talk about these things because they are upsetting or, or, you know, terrifying to somebody or that it damages somebody in some way, then that may be so. But that it still needs to be done. But I want to sort of, I want to close a bit on a piece of analysis. And I think that is, that it, mm-hmm. it, it, I thank you, thank you for it. It's like, I, I, true, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope we made a difference. I hope there was something done there. It was, that was a short moment. That is only a glimpse of time when, you know, we were actively looking that way. And, you know, the, the brand was actively sort of plotting against that fucking little thin blood prince <laughs> and it's like for, I, I, I can see how insulting it, it, it is to him and so on time has passed now and it's sort of we can look at this and I don't think anybody did anything wrong because they wanted to or, or whatever it's like it was super frustrating when I like called up people that is like confirmed radicals from way back in, in, in White Wolf and so on and it was like nope it's like it spun out too far out of control it's like we can't back you. It's like you're alone. Can't. That was that was terrifying. But 
I think, a takeaway sort of how we can think about these things, about what we're doing here. Because it's like, the first thing we got to ask ourselves is like, why are we, why are we doing this? Is there, you know, a true danger to portraying evil, systematically criminal monsters? Are we damaging ourselves? Are we, are we doing this? It's like, is this a real thing? Is, does, does it make me more a Nazi if I read about it than if I don't? Will I be affected by these things? Will playing a Nazi character make me more likely to go down that route? To answer that question, it's like for me, I'm an old veteran of the, you know, moral majority D&D wars. That's sort of, that was my battle. And at that time, no matter how like different game systems we loved and so on, on some level, we were united by a couple of things. A, we were social rejects and we were outside of being cool. That was like, it was decidedly not cool. Except for Vampire, which strangely managed to be got cool. <laughs> but anyway, it was mostly, mostly. <laughs> and, uh, yes, we were, there was, it was, um, it was during that time. So we were united because of that, our outsidership, but it was also united because we were attacked from the outside systematically. In Sweden, they wanted to ban role-playing games. One of the like eight big political parties had that on their way agenda at one point. It's like, no, no, should be forbidden. Our crisis was not vampire. We heard about all that shit. And there was a vampire murder uh, in, in Sweden as well. It was a guy who got a mm-hmm. really, really bad amphetamine deal and he happened to play uh, Mindside Theater. But yeah, uh, anyway, he was the Dracula killer. And, but <laughs> cult also, of course, this like blatantly sacrilegious and super edgy like, game that, that mm-hmm. uses some of the most powerful heresies in Christian history, like Gnosticism and so on, to undermine, you know, the the mythology, the Christian mythology, in a super interesting way. Also horrifying to people because you played such dark, broken characters that we sometimes were game. actively looking, looking for uh, falling to sort of the dark side. Like having low mental balance is also a way to see the truth, you know? Uh, so terrifying, lovely, lovely game. This led to a point where like, there started to be publications about these things, where like how damaging it is and so on. You had this in the US as well. You had the D&D battles where, you know, the moral majority told people that you would mm-hmm. become devil worshipper if you play a magic user and so on. And in Sweden, we had Didi Arnstedt and her book, The Army of the Abandoned, which told the story about like all of this. It had loads of art from, you know, it had the edgiest art from all of the games. It's like muscled fascistoid fantasy warriors from D and it's like yeah the grimiest uh, like super pierced uh, Zemish illustrations from way back when all of that like everything that looked horrible was in there and the narrative was like these people are actively playing Nazis and they're playing you know heroic character with fascistic man ideals and it's like it's like hmm yeah you will see where this is going. Um, it's like you, so you, then it says like by playing these games, they become like that. They, you know, by playing these fascistoid stereotypes or racist stereotypes and like, look, it's like even orcs, which is of course an allegory for black people and they're killing orcs all the time. Look at how broken they are. And this Martin, I was by name in that one. He's leading a like separatist, anarcho-fascist group up in Umeå. It was batshit crazy. But it rested on one principle, 
which I hear again and again and again. And that is like, if I play something dark, that will somehow turn me to the dark side. Or it's like, if I make a game that is about, you know, that features existing horrible things, that makes me spread those horrible things, or at least victimize people who have traumatizing experience to such an extent that it's actively damaging, which is exactly the same thing that the moral majority said that we were doing to ourselves. But they were outside. What happened when we became popular? What happened when, you know, a critical role breaks the molds? And it's like, that's such an amazing moment when it is now mainstream. It is now like, there's millions of views here. This is now a mainstream phenomenon. More people are going to play D&D than ever. It, it, but we're cool. Nobody hates us. Except ourselves. And we're... We're holding on to the same arguments that were used against us, but we're directing it towards each other, often with the well-intentioned meaning of creating a safe and inclusive and wonderful environment, which we all want, of course. But show me, for, to this day, nobody's been able to produce any data to support those moral majority claims that you become a Nazi by you know, mm -hmm. playing a Nazi. Play pretend is a human function that we have that separates it from reality when we say we're now in the liminal space where it is just a game that does something deep to us. We're able to deal with things that are hard and difficult by making that distinction. By, it could be just by using the by... logic. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, you, you see where I'm going with this. It's weird. We're using the same sort of logic. Yeah, yeah. it could be just as easy that by walking down that path, the, uh, the, the wrong path, you can recognize the markers in fantasy so that you see them in your everyday life. It is just as likely. Spot on. Spot on. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I would right. say, I mean, that, that yes, art, this is what we're talking about. It's like reception mm -hmm. of art. That is super complicated. Even, you know, literary science, a lot of those terms like problematic and so on are being, are being used to denote things that are harmful or whatever. That's not entirely correct in literary theory. But, you know, there is a whole field of study that sort of talks about reception studies and so on. And there is nowhere, anywhere in that field, is there any data that points towards this conclusion that's been leveled against new art forms again and again. It's like romance novels, women's romance novels in the, in the, like, in the early 1800s were super suspect. It's like it was going to turn them more into love crazy strumpets or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's like these things... Pulp literature, same thing. It's always the belief that engaging in these things that might be tasteless, they might be a little bit over the edge, or, you know, or, or weird or whatever, but engaging with that somehow changes us. It's, 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 it's weird. It's weird that the discussion is there. And if you want that position, it's like, show me the data. <laughs> where, where is it? Nobody can, because it doesn't exist. Um, and it's... Uh, I think it's worth thinking about the similarities there. Um, it, it definitely is. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot to think about, but this has been also a fantastic journey with you, Martin. It is a, it's a hell mm -hmm. of, of a tale and a life you've been uh, still going on. I mean, obviously you're alive here and it's <laughs> still going. He's with us. I mean, after this whole madness, I was like, for a while, I mean, the only thing that I could do is say like, 
this, I'm doing post-apocalypse LARPs on a <laughs> fucking island outside of Stockholm for, for a couple of years. But, you know, then Corona comes. And they're like, oh, that's a whole story. Yeah. No, does it have to be tragedy this time as well? But because of Corona, I can't have more than 50 players. But we did our best there to use that thing that we talked about quite early in this. It's like social benefit storytelling or changing, I mean, by gameplay, changing your behavior. That is not the same thing as indoctrinating you to be a good person or, or, or yeah. anything like that. It's just incentivizing through uh, through game structure. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with, no, no, you no. know, you do a hobby and just so happens it's good things too. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is, it, it is, it is, uh, it is possible. I mean, it's, that was, um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of lost the track there. It's, sure. it's okay. It is, it is late I'm for you sorry. and I. <laughs> it is, it is. But, um, yeah, you have sustained my interest and it's great talking to talking to you and um it's, it's amazing it's you're you're doing a fantastic job for the community also it's like a couple of times when i didn't have the time to like read and digest a book that i really had to get a grip on it's like some old <laughs> strange book it's like i would listen to what i want to do podcast like, ah okay maybe i can maybe give feedback on this at least <laughs> thank so you thank you and thank you for being a um, super good listeners all of you and allowing me to rant a little bit and again <laughs> don't fuck up paradox they're fantastic they're the custodians of your dreams you got fucking Justin <laughs> Achille after me that is not a bad thing that is here's, yeah. awesome here's the, here's the thing we we hope we hope to see you in more things yeah I think it's right. really I hope in mind to, yes absolutely some, some board game or some something we will see maybe a uh, novel based on No Man is an Island or a module for the second inquisition book for that or whatever we will see. We'll see. Yeah, it, exactly. The future is going to look up, right? It can't be can't rain all the time, and to quote another gothic movie. Uh, but the uh, the crow was good. Uh, anyway, uh, the <laughs> you it absolutely was. Seth Bright's The Crow novel. That's the last thing I'm going to leave you with. She wrote and really, really nice. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I did not know that. Anyway. I've added something to my reading list. Last thing I read from her was like exquisite <laughs> corpse. Well, she, uh, but, uh, she did one licensed book. It's like for a license. Gentlemen, I that promise. That be my dream. Let's get her. Gentlemen, I promise. We can talk as long as you like <laughs> afterward, but we have held them for hours. Right. So everybody else, thank you for listening. <laughs> um, it isn't particularly long, but we promise you it's, it's definitely been interesting and enjoyable. Absolutely getting here. Uh, it is by far one of the best interviews I've ever done uh, is this right here. And uh, yep. I want to mm-hmm. thank you, Martin, for, for being here for this experience. And uh, Nick, DJ, Brennan, always a pleasure. And thank you. And, uh, of course, to the fans. Same to uh, you. I leave you with this simple thing. Keep an open mind. Listen to this. Look at the videos. Look at the research we did. Formulate an informed opinion. Understand. And get to know Martin on a level where it's out of it's what he told you he has done. And see it for yourself. And then look at what you think may have happened. No one blames anyone. For changing their mind. In fact, it is a hallmark of intelligence that you realize that hmm, maybe I needed to change That's my true. opinion. That is what we have opinions for. You know, you're right when you feel you're right, and then later on something changes your mind, and it is okay to do that. I don't I know I had my opinion changed. You know, absolutely. Yeah. About Martin. Right here. I'll fully admit there was a lot of hesitancy for that. In fact, I'll even say another thing. I reached out to uh, Tally the Hound Dawkins. Some referred to, and I said, "Hey, you know, Martin, what are what are some of the pitfalls? I want to talk to him. Is it okay? Not okay?" And uh, he goes, "You know what? Do it." Mm-hmm. Right? So we said off the bat, without hesitation, mm-hmm. 
And what he said was, he's a stand-up guy. What he told me immediately. And he said, I think you're going to like him a lot. And, you know, but I don't like putting words in anyone's mouth. Please. And that's very Dawkins to say that. It's one of the reasons I respect yeah, yeah. my nemesis. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's the... <laughs> <laughs> nemesis. That is fantastic. So, uh, but thank you, everybody. Do your due diligence. Um, reach out to us as well. Um, I will collect any data, any feedback that people want on behalf of Martin, you know, to sift through a little bit. This sort of the responsibility of being the showrunner here. And uh, when it comes in, our team will look at it. And uh, we'll get a contact with Martin that obviously for his, his privacy, uh, we're going to keep that in-house. But uh, we're going to give that give that info to him. And uh, if you reach out, hopefully it's uh, it's all for the best. And it's all an understanding and closure here. And uh, just to get to know you better, Martin. And thank you so much for that opportunity. Thank you. Blood and motherfucking souls. See you around. <laughs> Everybody, have a good one. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.